on today's Super Bowl recap, Super Bowl Super Pod edition of the Read Option. I'm joined with the guys once again to break down everything from Super Bowl 55. A little bit of a dud of an overall game, but look, there's plenty to talk about. The GOAT, Tom Brady, adding to what is an extraordinary legacy already. Uh, we get into a lot of the gameplay stuff, what the Chiefs kind of failed to do, what would their Achilles heel was in this one. Uh, but look, there's plenty of stuff you can talk about from the Super Bowl. We get into commercials, our gambling, the Super Bowl halftime show, the weekend, uh, a little bit of everything. And uh, another really great loaded pod. We wrap up talking about the new Hall of Fame class, as well as the league awards that were announced over the weekend. So uh, enjoy the next episode of the Read Option starts right now. All right, bring it in. Episode 5, Super Bowl recap episode. Just as quickly as it came, the NFL season has departed. And we got a lot to talk about here. We have a new champion in the NFL, but kind of feels like an old champion, seeing as, you know, Tom Brady always seems to win a Super Bowl every couple of years. And to help me break this down, the boys are back in town. Scotty Miller and Brian San Vito, gentlemen. How are we on this Super Bowl Monday, nursing hangovers and licking our wounds from the gambling? Some of us anyway. Yep, uh, <laughs> pretty good, man. I mean, I, you know, even though uh, I wish there, it was closer towards the end, I'm glad we got to see um, some storylines be made last night. Uh, you know, whether that was either in the game or uh, I guess even this past week with the NFL honors and, and with the commercials, it was an event last night. And right now, uh, we needed an event going on in the world that was uh, it was pretty special. I, I liked it. Yeah, there was it was good to see people there too. Albeit, I think there was a little too many, but uh, glad that we can have some sort of normalcy with the Super Bowl still being in February. I really think though the NFL missed out on a big opportunity uh, in the Super Bowl. Boys, do you know what uh, the the Super Bowl Roman numerals were for fifty five? LV LV it's L it's LV that's right uh where did the NFL just move a franchise Las Vegas Las Vegas LV right I so why not have say... why not have Super Bowl 55 Super Bowl LV in LV I mean it's a missed opportunity you know you feel like you can write the city of Tampa Bay an, an IOU they have the Super Bowl every five years for crying out loud it's a great it's a great point too. it is and I think it they is. were supposed to have the Pro Bowl uh, in Vegas this year. Um, and the draft. Last year's draft. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. The draft was No, but what's there. interesting, Scott, to your point, is is that, like, that's why, jokingly, I was talking to my sister, and I was like, how funny would it be if they put, like, the Louis Vuitton LV on, like, the ball everywhere? Or, like, <laughs> something, just have Louis Vuitton sponsor it. Talk about sponsorship miss out. Like, come on. Speaking of, we're looking for sponsors on the Read Option podcast. Uh, yes, like, we are. listen, subscribe, rate, review. <laughs> yes, we are. Thank you, Louis Vuitton, come on down. <laughs> the shameless plug is necessary uh, in the podcasting game, unfortunately. Uh, but guys, you know, the game itself, and I hate to be kind of curmudgeonly here, kind of sucked. If we're, if we're just being honest, like the game itself was not a great football game. It was a dominant performance from a team that had a clear and distinct advantage in one of the most important areas of the game itself, which is, you know, games are won and lost in football in the trenches. They, they, they always are. As much as we like to make it about 
the quarterbacks and they, that's what drives the the machine that is the NFL is is who you who are the best quarterbacks in the league uh this game really came down to a really bad offensive line you know and, and not by the you know any fault of Kansas City you know you're you're missing half of your offensive line you lose a, an all pro ta- two all pro tackles in Eric Fisher and uh, Mitchell Schwartz, or that was earlier in the year, but still, you, you know, they're working at a distinct advantage. And one of the things we talked about last week when we were previewing the game is this matchup of these old school, classic four, three style defensive ends going up against uh, inexperienced and, and frankly, just less talented uh, players in the offensive line for Kansas city and Mahomes and the stat that has been just kind of going out, uh, going everywhere uh, is that Mahomes scramble yards in this game was like 497 scramble yards. So from the time the ball was snapped and he's dropping back and throwing to the time the ball was released. If you add that up throughout the entire game, Pat Mahomes ran for almost 500 yards, which is like, Mind career day it's it's mind-blowing to think uh and, and we saw some like ridiculous stuff but he was running around you know just trying to protect himself he, he had no other option here and, yeah, he was spinning around doing all sorts of uh contortions and throwing the ball and somehow he was still putting the ball on receivers at times i mean in, and in the middle we'll, of all that we'll get into some of the mahone stuff uh later because i don't want to bury the lead here because the lead is tom brady you know we're talking about a, a guy who has seven Super Bowl rings. He got some seven Super Bowl rings before any individual franchise. He's been doing this for 20 years. He played in literally half of the uh, Super Bowls in the last 20 years. Uh, I, I, there's, no, there's nothing else, and this is part of it too. How much more can we say about this guy? You know, and, and there's a chance he goes back and does it again next year. You know, I wouldn't take that away from Tom Brady. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's impossible. That's, that's what the brilliance of Tom Brady is so they got, they got to be the preseason favorite, right? I betting odds. They're third right now. Kansas city is still the favorite. Uh, and then it's them and green Bay are tied uh, at that second spot. So uh, they're in, yeah, they're I in there about you. They're in the favorites. No, no. I'm just saying like the actual betting odds for next season, they are not the favorite, uh, but they have a really good team. They're going to be bringing back a lot of these guys, but right off the bat um, veto, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one, man, because Tom Brady, at some point, you just got to step back and whether you like him or dislike him or whatever, you just got to appreciate the brilliance that Tom Brady has, has accomplished throughout his career. It really manifested itself in, in what a lot of the coaches and the owner talked about, right? Um, the owner at the end literally thanking Tom Brady. And he said, you know, when you want to win a Super Bowl or you want to do something, you go out and find someone who's done it and learn from them. And that's why they got Tom Brady. And that's why everyone has been talking about him this whole off season. And I think it all came to a head in the second quarter. Um, it was after, I believe it was a touchdown that Tom Brady threw after there was some, some smack talk going on uh, during the game with Tom, but he had that stare. He sat on the bench and just stared forward and it was right for a commercial break. And I remember at that immediate point being like, this is over. Like he's not going to stop scoring. And if Kansas city can flip the switch, which they weren't able to do, but like he was locked in, he was ready to go. Um, they were calling a great game. Byron left, which crushed it with that. I mean, that oh, offensive yeah. line, you're talking about one in the trenches, that offensive line as well. 
were mm. they were pushing forward so far. Uh, Leonard Fournette had just the best looking day you've seen in years from him. I mean, he looked incredible. His mm-hmm. cuts, all of his decision making was just on point. Um, everybody stepped up, and I think it all came down to Brady being that leader and like his mentality bleeding into everybody is why this team goes from you know having a great offense last year to winning a Super Bowl this year. It's funny. I, I, I was talking to you guys yesterday about uh, uh, my mother-in-law is a football savant. Um, and, and I don't know how or why she, she knows so much about the game. Um, she sits down and studies it. But before – as the game was starting, Tampa Bay has the ball first. She goes, huh, you know whose name – I haven't heard in a long in like most of the playoffs. I was like, "Who? Who are you talking about?" She goes, "Rob Gronkowski." And I was like, "Are you saying he's going to have a big game?" I was. She was like, "I think so, because he hasn't been very, uh, very uh, active." And maybe, maybe Brady was waiting for him to uh, for the Super Bowl. And boy, was she right! I mean, look, I and the thing about Tom Brady too is that with that experience, he he brought to Tampa Bay, right? They went out and got him. And then Brady went out and got uh, guys that he wanted around him. And those are the guys that won that this game for him. Look, I, Gronk who signed with Tampa Bay because Brady came there. Gronk has six catches and two touchdowns. Uh, Antonio Brown, who nobody but Tom Brady believed in um, comes to, comes to the bucks, gets five catches and a touchdown. Uh, Leonard Fournette, who came to Tampa Bay because, and solely because Tom Brady was there, uh, goes for four catches. He gets 16 carries and a touchdown. Those are Tom Brady's guys that he brought to Tampa Bay. They're not the Mike Evanses of the world that were already there. They're not, although he had one big catch. Uh, they're not the the Chris Godwins who got drafted to to fit that be a weapon in that offense. Um, it, it it's astounding to me the what he keeps doing. And how he keeps doing it, it's it's a it's a marvel. And I I, I yeah. pity the people, seriously, who who want to spend their time uh, on social media or in conversations with people on uh, podcast media, sports media, whatever, saying I can't stand Tom Brady. I'm tired of him. When stop. I've said this before in podcasts. Please stop. It takes. It's like smiling, right? And frowning. It takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. It takes more of your energy and effort to look at something that is great and decide you want to hate on it than it is to just sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the greatness that is unfolding in front of you. We're going to have this conversation about Patrick Mahomes probably in 20 years, who was on the other side of the ball in that Super Bowl. But I I, I don't understand how people can sit there and hate uh, the, the player on the field. It's it just very, doesn't make sense. It's very similar to, you know, when you talk about these great stars, and it's something I alluded to in the uh, when I was breaking down the Tiger Woods documentary uh, in, in the pod I did last week. You know, we have this this crab in the bar, crab in the barrel mentality is what it's called, which is if you if you get a bunch of crabs, you put them in a barrel and one of them starts to climb out. It's, you know, a, the other crabs will like try to grab him and pull him back into the barrel with the rest of them. And it's what we do with celebrities and, and superstars and in particular with athletes where we build them up to be these incredible people, these incredible beings, only to try to pull them back down. But the thing with Tom Brady is he's never 
He's never given us a reason to try to pull him back down. He's just continually won. He continually does, does what he needs to do in order to be Tom Brady and, and, and almost infallible to the point where it's like, People were getting on him for, you know, kissing his son, you know, like, yeah, it's a funny joke people make or whatever, but it's like, all right, come on. Like we all had, you know, parents growing up, like we, we've all done that. Like it's, it's nothing weird. It's, it's just people look for any excuse to pull down people who are great. People will find any excuse to be able to do that. And at the end of the day, when you look at what Tom Brady has accomplished on the football field, he is somebody that he has put together a resume that will not be touched um, more than likely ever again. I mean, the amount of things that need to go right, the amount of luck you need just to be able to stay healthy. You know, Tom Brady's had one major injury in his career and that, and that's it, you know, and, and for as much as we all love Pat Mahomes and, and everyone wants to talk about how Pat Mahomes could win just as many Super Bowls, could do just as well. I don't think that's necessarily true. And a good example that's been thrown around here is we said the same stuff about Russell Wilson. You know, when Russell Wilson won his first Super Bowl, the next year they were back in the Super Bowl again. He was, it was his second year in the league when they won the Super Bowl. And the year they go back was the year they played Tom Brady and the Patriots on the Malcolm Butler interception. And all of a sudden we haven't seen Russell in the Super Bowl since. Not taking anything away from Russell, but it's more good. to point out just how brilliant and how difficult it is to do what Tom Brady has accomplished and to have that level of consistency. And again, he doesn't do that without Bill and Bill doesn't do it without Tom. There isn't a who's better. It's on either or it's both of them. They, they both came together uh, to be able to be that successful. But this what's, that's what makes this so crazy is that one year, like you move to a team, you go down to Tampa, you change everything about like the offense you're running Really? I mean, it's a mix, but we all know, like he did a lot of work there and to go through all of that during a COVID year, that will always be crazy. Like to have a new team and not have those established relationships. And it goes back to what we all heard. The first thing he did was, was he asked for every player's phone number so he could call all his new teammates Hmm. and like, starting off the year like that for Tom Brady is how you end up with the goddamn Super Bowl and a major team effort. This was not just the offense being one of the ages. This was an incredible team performance. And it's, it's just so cool that it happened in this way for him, because you're right. All of the, like the greatness and how long it's lasted will never be taken away, but it's just such a fucking icing on top that like, he did got another one in Tampa at least. Right. Like it's crazy. Oh, it's, it's insane, man. I mean, like to even just contextualize it all, like it's hard to do. It's, it's hard to add context to something that's never been done before. Well, and and that's, what's crazy is the comparisons, especially when we were growing up in like the two thousands, even after he won his first three was always, well, Joe Montana is the greatest winner of all time. He went to four. He won four, right? He That was always the comparison. Well, he went to the Chiefs after, you know, late in his career, and, and he went deep in the playoffs, but he didn't win. And now you have a guy who not only, oh, you went to four and won four. That's the nice percentage, but I won seven no matter where I was. And I did, it got one of them at another team. And I went to three more, and it didn't work out. But those are also three of the most incredible plays that have happened against a team ever like uh yeah. performances so it, it's just really cool but we do, we do that in basketball up. too we do that in basketball right it's the jordan lebron thing mm-hmm. lebron's been to how many finals just because jordan was six and oh 
but LeBron has been to a, a great many more number of finals than uh, than than Michael Jordan did. So we we oh we absolutely do. And Nick Nick Wright's been saying that forever as the ultimate LeBron defender. You know, like why are we why are we punishing LeBron's legacy because yeah. he he got to the championship and lost? Like in a lot of ways it's viewed as more of a failure to get even further and, and, and not still get to the top than it is to all, you know, just win every time you get there. You know, Jordan went six for six with six finals MVPs. And that number does matter. Like the four Super Bowls was incredible. Um, but like, I, I don't know, did Tom Brady ever have a teammate and maybe Gronk is the answer here, but did Tom Brady ever have a teammate as good as Jerry Rice? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think you Randy can say Moss, with Randy Moss, you, even though he yeah. didn't win. But he had Randy Moss for, you know, two years. Yeah. You know, so – and whereas yeah. they don't win any – and they didn't even win the Super Bowl with Randy Moss. Like – No. They what, – what Jerry – like they won all those Super Bowls in San Francisco with Jerry Rice attached. Except for the first one. Except for the first one. Um, but and, then even, and, even the ones with Steve Young, Jerry Rice was still there. Yep. So – Young, yeah. But uh, Monkey off the back, we beat the Chargers. That was uh, a was good year. But yeah, no, so, sorry, I'm reminiscing. <laughs> no, but but to bring it all back to Tom, and, and and I think why it's all related is because he not only the comparison between LeBron and MJ is like, well, you know, MJ still has all those victories, right? And it's it's getting closer. It's it's not the same, but like when Tom is almost double your Super Bowl wins, and you mm-hmm. were the guy who was like the ultimate winner, the like this conversation's over, and it's not going to come back up until someone gets six, which I don't know if anyone ever will. Like this is. It was over yes, is, after Atlanta. Incredible. It was this, over after the Atlanta Super Bowl. Like if, if you yeah. walked away from that comeback and didn't, you know, assume because that was also when he got to that was what his fifth Super Bowl when they won cool. with Atlanta when they beat Atlanta. Yep. Yeah. So if you walked away from that Super Bowl knowing that he had already that was the one that got him past Joe Montana, and he also did it the way that he did. Yeah, there is no, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like you were saying, Scott, like I, I, at this point, I don't know. You're just a hater, you know? Yeah. But it, it's funny too, because he's had, he's had three hall of fame careers. I keep saying that. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> that's and that's you, no joke. You brought up, you know, the guys that he brought in to his team, um, you know, in a lot of ways, it was kind of like the Tampa Bay Patriots, right? Like, and not only that, who showed up in this game, Gronk and Antonio Brown and Tom Brady, all three of which were on the Patriots just last year. And it's not Bill's fault. You know, ownership wanted to move on from Antonio Brown. And frankly, with all of Antonio Brown, you know, you, I, I can't blame anybody for, for moving on from him, especially during that time period. I mean, the guy was volatile as hell. But Tom Brady was a, you know, you somehow or another, Antonio Brown respected like one person really in, you know, in the NFL, it seems. And that person is Tom Brady. You know, when Tom Brady told Antonio Brown, hey, you know, get your shit together, fall in line, that's what he did. You know, he, he, he got his shit together, he fell in line. And I'm sure he would have done the same thing uh, in New England. But at the time, again, because of how big that story was uh, and, and the uncertainty around Antonio Brown, in addition to him also basically just kind of being like a lunatic for, you know, he was like football Kanye well, West there for a while. Yeah, um, that's a bit of a misnomer. I mean, he had he's... His his background is well, and that's pretty wild. There was there was a lot of legal stuff going on there. The NFL at that point, I don't even think really wanted him uh, playing at all. Um, Yeah, but but he did it with the guys that he brought in. Exactly. Antonio Brown showed up. He got five catches when a touchdown, 
Gronk had six catches and, and two touchdowns. Those are the most catches and the only touchdowns thrown in the game. That's, that's what it comes down to. So like, without a doubt, Scott, it's, it's those guys. It's somehow even Fournette being brought in, right? Yeah. Like we're talking about how great this core offense was and how well they did last year. And it's really funny to look at the numbers and be like, wow, that Leonard Fournette got their other touchdown. So everyone who scored was brought into this team within the year. Yeah. Um, in addition to that already great, you know, the line dominated today, the, the receivers, all, the depth at their and tight end is uh, well known. It's and crazy. defensively, like defensively, what they did, I mean, we really should, should talk about Devin White. I mean, he was all over the field. Oh, yeah. Including getting the pick, but he, he ended up with 12 tackles, eight solo. I mean, he was flying I, around. The, the one play that stuck around. out in my head from Devin White was uh, he it was a, it was a sweet play, I think, with Tyreek Hill, or maybe it was a short pass that Tyreek Hill ended up busting out through the, through the secondary. And Devin White not only closes, but then goes step for step with him for like 15 yards to make the tackle <laughs> with Tyreek Hill. Yeah. Like that's and insane. Being significantly you know, larger of, of just an overall human being. Um, yeah. Devin White is, is ridiculous. Uh, you know, two tackles for a loss and, and that's somebody who they, you know, they brought in uh, to, in order to make a difference, you know, um, and, or they drafted him rather. Uh, and they drafted him in the, you know, in the top 10 picks, like they, they knew, the talent that was there when it comes to Devin White. I think everyone did. Anyone who watched him play at LSU. I remember he got ejected. I think they were playing Alabama and he got ejected uh, from targeting and he was going to end up missing the next game. Uh, I I think it might've been the week before Alabama too. And everyone was, was furious because it was like, you're, you're taking out our, our, our best player on this targeting. Like the impact felt from Devin White missing uh, the next game was known in the middle of the game that was going on before it. So knowing that they weren't going to have that because of the weird, you know, half rule and, and how the whole targeting penalties kind of worked there, but to go down the line here, you know, who else had a big game here on the defensive side of the ball? And Dominican Sue finished with a sack and a half. He had one and a half sacks. He only ended up having two tackles, but he made them work. You know, talk about another guy who they brought in off the streets who had been floating around from team to team. He was in L.A. after he was in Miami uh, and finally found a home here in Tampa Bay. And they go on to, to, to win the Super Bowl, which, again, like it just it blows my mind that, A, this happened. You know, that what we watched last night actually happened and that it wasn't as competitive at all to the extent that we thought. And for all of what Tom Brady did, and, and look, three touchdown passes is great. He looked awesome in that first half. He only finished with 201 yards. Like, he, he barely hit 200 yards. And MVP right there. But the efficiency, man, I mean, 21 yeah. of 29, yeah. three touchdowns. Uh, it's a hell of a day. They were able to run the ball uh, between Fournette and Ronald Jones. You know, they got up to 150 yards. And, and that, that is right around that zone. That's actually a little more than the zone yeah. that I had said going into the game, what, what they would need uh, in order to, to pull this game off. So why don't we go through here, by the way, because I, I don't want to completely – because, like, I, I do want to get into some of what Kansas City – because it wasn't just the offensive line play. You know, yeah. Kansas well, City you want some crazy on stats all, on uh... – On all fronts, Kansas City really struggled uh, in this game. So this is courtesy of Tom Brady Fags on Twitter. Tom Brady, since turning 37 years old, against stats from Peyton over their entire career, postseason stats from Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Ben Roethlisberger. 
Okay. Since Tom Brady's turned 37, um, Ben Roethlisberger has 13 wins, Aaron Rodgers 11, Drew Brees 9, Peyton Manning 14 in the postseason. Brady, since turning 37, has 14 wins in the postseason. Uh, passing yards, he's second only to um, to uh, Ben Roethlisberger over that time period. Now, this is, again, those four guys, Manning, Breeze, Rodgers, and Roethlisberger, the, over their entire career of the po- in the postseason versus Brady since he's turned 37. Uh, Brady's second only to Roethlisberger in yards. Uh, he's second in uh, in touchdowns with 37. Uh, Peyton Manning leads that pack with 40 or I'm sorry, Rogers leads that pack with 46. Um, and of course, Super Bowl wins. Uh, uh, Brady leads the pack with four since he's turned 37. I mean, that's, that's wild to me that over the course of those four guys, their entire postseason career uh, and, and Brady over the last uh, what, seven, seven years, it's phenomenal to to think that that this guy has done uh, in just a short amount of time what those and they're all going to be f- Hall of Famers. Peyton Manning we'll touch on later in the podcast is now a Hall of Famer, but the other three, Breeze, Rogers, and Roethlisberger, will be Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. Um, that Brady has done that, what they've he's equaled or bettered what they've done in their postseason careers in the last six years, Brady is uh, just lends credence to the fact that Brady is probably the greatest of all time. And And, I don't know if it's going to get in that, in that vein too, Scott. I mean, think about, it's not just the stats. It's also three Super Bowls, which is more than any of them individually. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, he, in, in that six year window, he has won more Super Bowls than any of them in their entire careers. And he's basically better in every single statistic category. And he did it on a team where he was throwing to guys uh, like who, who was the lacrosse, uh, the lacrosse guy on, on uh, Oh, Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan. Penn Chris State. Hogan. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Penn state lacrosse. Shout out to them. Um, like, do you even lax bro? Like they, they did this. Or sorry, not they, Tom Brady did this with supporting cast, which was, you know, the, the, in a lot of ways, especially in that last Super Bowl he won with, uh, LA was, you know, a shell of Rob Gronkowski, you know, Gronk had a huge game in the Philly Super Bowl, but I'm not sure if y'all remember, they were dragging him because of his body was breaking down the year that they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And he just, nothing seems to phase him. And, and I want to get into now, you know, again, more, more of the game stuff here because Mahomes didn't necessarily look phased. Like he didn't look uncomfortable. Let me rephrase. He looked uncomfortable because of the pressure and everything else going on to him, but it didn't look like he was like unprepared for the moment that he wasn't ready to, to be the Pat Mahomes that we've grown accustomed to seeing. He threw off two passes that might be the most impressive throws I've ever seen in a game. And they were both incompletions and his supporting cast around him, not just on the offensive line, they really let him down. Like Tyree kill had, Two really bad drops. Travis Kelsey finished with 10 catches for 133 yards. But a lot of that was empty calorie stats, man. Like a lot of that stuff wasn't Travis Kelsey, like having his best day. He had a really bad drop. So, so Vito, when you look back on this right now, where do you see the biggest shortcoming for this Kansas city team throughout this game? 
I think it, it it's a problem that alluded to all of those, or I guess caused all of the problems that you're talking about. And I th- think it was the lack of ability to get separation on the defense. Uh, they were lining up man to man. I mean, yeah, they had some safety help over the top, but they were running with them. I mean, yes, Travis Kelsey ended with 10 receptions and 133 yards, like you said, but without a doubt, like, you know, some of the coverage on him was incredible. He wasn't getting a lot of separation specifically from Levante David. I remember in the first half, like mm-hmm. it was, it, they were running, you know, hand in hand. And um, there, there were a lot of throws where uh, Mahomes again was putting it on target and it hit a hand and maybe it was just outstretched. And there were so many close plays for Kansas city. And usually they convert those. And I think the lack of ability to get separation and probably the press from Tampa to an extent, I just think worked better than it had against Kansas city. Like it, it just worked. And even again, like you said, it worked, but you still have, you know, between the two guys, they had 17 catches and uh, 200 yards between Travis Kelsey and Tyree Hill. So they still had a great game, but you're right. It didn't happen till late. They weren't hitting the explosive plays down the field. Uh, and I don't think they could get separation on a lot of the, the usual ones where they do. It, it's not quite a crossing route. It's a little deeper. It's more of a post. They love running that and then extending the route to the sideline, specifically with Tyreek Hill. Cause he just it's a deep, it's a deep drag that they run. Yeah. Yes. And so uh, those usually are just gimme throws for Pat Mahomes on the sideline and they didn't hit those. And, and it was one of the things that I was looking for. And it was both due to the pressure and due to the coverage that it wasn't open right away. And I think they got in their, in their face a little bit on the line. So when I look at it, the shortcoming is just, I think the separation ability. And even though these guys are elite at route running for some reason, I just didn't see it from Travis Kelsey and Tyree kill in order to give their quarterback open, easy throws when he was under pressure. It was, it yeah. was very clear uh, that the secondary for Tampa Bay, they, they came out looking to, to make some noise in this game. You know, they were in bear. Remember that massive game Tyree kill had, we had 200 yards in the first quarter. That was against Tampa Bay, which I had forgotten until, you know, a couple of days before the Super Bowl and people bring it up. And Carlton Davis, I think, is the cornerback the there for Tampa Bay. Uh, but the yes. back end, like we talked about how important it was going to be to have Jordan Whitehead and Antoine Winfield Jr. in that game. And those guys, like they 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 have a mean streak in them. Like they have a little bit of nasty in them. Like the first hit Whitehead had was set a tone on that oh, defensive yeah. side. It was impressive. One of my favorite words to describe anything in football is salty. You know, these guys were salty. You know, they, they just had a little something to them in this game and a lot of something to them, to be perfectly honest. And the way that they were able to create, cause they weren't doing, like you said, Vito, a whole lot of fancy stuff in the back end. They just executed what they were supposed to do incredibly well and it was all predicated by the way and having a front four that could get pressure because Vita Vea by the way I don't know when his contract comes up but that dude's gonna get paid look at the difference in that Tampa Bay defense right because he went out early in the year missed a good chunk of time and we were like oh you know we like Tampa Bay's defense but we don't love Tampa Bay's defense in the last two weeks they played the number one and number two offenses in football in Kansas City and Green Bay or at least, you know, two of the top, you know, five in those two teams and did a remarkable job. And his presence alone, having the speed rushers on the outside, Shaq Barrett, JPP, we've talked about them a ton, but the interior pressure, because as much as, you know, Adama Kinsu has had an excellent career and we talked about how brilliant he was, you know, at Nebraska, Vita Vea is, is, is the starter there. He is the guy. And, and what he does from just, he basically just says, you know what, you're not running the football. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, I know you want to, but you're, you're not running the football today. 
And whether you're a team that is based around the run or not, like, you know, Kansas City's not really a run heavy team. Uh, they just weren't able to pick up some yards. I also thought, I thought some of the play calling on Kansas City's side was look, I mean, it's, it's hard being the guy at home who's like criticizing play calling. Uh, Cause there's so much that we don't know. And there, and it's so much more complicated than that. And it's not just us picking games on Madden, you know, or picking plays on Madden, right. It, it really is a, a bigger picture uh, kind of situation than that. But, and every, everything that you're afraid of Kansas city, whether it's a short passing game, the deep passing game, getting pressure from those four guys up front, allowed them to play basic, you know, cover two defense, right. They, there's, they did a little bit of Tampa two, a little bit of cover two played two safeties back and they were able to keep the entire field out in front of them. And on top of it, they were salty. You know, they had this little extra, you know, energy and juice to them that I think really made a difference. And in, in, like, again, who would have thought that Kansas City wouldn't score a touchdown? This is the first time in Patrick Mahomes' career that he's ever lost a game by more than one possess- or more than one score. That that is nuts. That's insane. Every insane. every single t- game he's lost has been a one possession game when the clocks hit zero. And, and they're only the third team ever to not score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I mean, this doesn't really? happen, happen in the Rams, yeah, but it only had happened one time before that. I mean, it's it's very rare, um, and so it, it's pretty wild that two has happened have happened recently with two great offenses, mm-hmm. both um, against Brady. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and I don't know. Again, it's not like he plays defense, but like sometimes the way we talk about his influence, he might as well. I don't know. Like something about him definitely rubs off, uh, and I know we've been talking about that. But one one thing I think is really funny about that was his attitude in terms of when he was talking a little trash this game, I think showed a lot of his teammates like, Oh no, we're here to win. Like mm-hmm. all bars are like, this is Brady. It showed, I think an edge to him that like, uh, yeah, a savvy vet might not have to- had, but him and Tyron Matthew going in at each other. I, I, it was like, Oh, Brady's here to, for the moment. Like he's yeah. gonna, if he's, if he could in the open field, he'd pull the, the helicopter move he's from a my gamer, boy John dude. Elway and, and, and just dude- go and leap. That is one of the things that I think when we talk about these all-time great figures in sports, what is the number one thing everybody says about them? How competitive they are and competitive at everything. Like Michael Jordan had to be gambling all the time, whether it was cards or little bets, like in the last dance to show him playing the game where he's flipping a quarter to see how close he can get it to the wall, competing with his security guard, just because he had to win at everything he did. Tiger Woods, same way. If he wasn't the best golfer in the world, it, you know, all of these guys have elite level uh, competitiveness. And there's a phenomenal story about Brady when he was in uh, New England still. I, th- I forget what the context was, but they were out at a bar and, you know, he's Tom Brady. So he's not going to go out in public a whole lot with other people because you're the you know starting NFL quarterback. There's only so many like public things you can do as far as, like, oh, let's grab some beers with the boys after practice. And some of the offensive linemen are like chugging beers. They're doing a chugging contest. And Tom Brady comes up and I think it was like two or th- there was either two or three beers down in front of him. And they were all like, Oh, you know, little skinny Tom Brady. Like he's, you know, whatever. He is like known for being the best beer chugger ever. And he literally goes and just puts away one, two, three, like right in front of all the offensive linemen. Like, yeah, dude, like I might be Tom Brady, but I can out chug you. I don't yeah, care if you're it's an a, offensive lineman. I'm, it's I'm a sick video. Everything. It's, it's a sick video. You got to watch it. Uh, it, it. Unbelievable. But, and, and I guess that goes to your point too of 
like when we're talking about um, these legends and now we're talking about him amongst obviously the greats of other sports. Right. And, and we're talking about him and we can compare him to tiger woods and we can compare it to some other guys in other sports, but like he's the top football guy. And in our era, I mean, he's got to be the best athlete that we've seen. Right. I don't know about athlete. I think Patrick Mahomes is a better athlete than Tom Brady. All right, I'll say best no, no I, best I, sports figure. Yeah, like I mean, you know I what I'm saying. I'm not saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's not gonna he's not gonna run a super fast forty, but also like being an athlete also is not just how many bench presses you can do. It's coordination. It's the brain. Yeah. It's, it's, it's how everything ties together. No, he's obviously not the best pure athlete you know that we've seen here. But to to answer your question, Vito, I think unquestionably he is. I mean, LeBron is is up there. You know, I think not Brady. Yeah, I, I, I think you're going between him and LeBron. I think what LeBron has done, uh, especially in a sport like basketball, where so much pressure and and look, Tom Brady can't win without having Bill Belichick's defense. Like n- nothing against Brady, but the first three Super Bowls, Tom Brady's not winning those without Tom Brady. Tom Brady didn't beat the Panthers. You know, it wasn't Tom Brady that beat the Rams and the Eagles. That was so much more about how can. Bill Belichick shut down like that 2004 Super Bowl with the Eagles, right? It was Donovan McNabb and Terrell Owens and T.O. put together like one of the best single seasons that year uh, from a wide receiver. And he had broken his ankle, comes back. He plays in the game. Yeah, 10 catches. Yeah. He, he yeah. crushed it too. And yeah. He, and he, McNabb and was hung over. Yeah, I know. I, I saw that. <laughs> Did you see actually T.O. tweeted that uh, at the Super Bowl uh, or uh, today, the day of the Super Bowl yesterday. He tweeted that out and tagged Freddie Mitchell on it. It's like, oh, yeah, remember when a quarterback showed? I forget what it was word for word. It was a total this league moment. It was it was unbelievable, dude. Like, holy shit. Like, really, Donovan? I mean, I never liked Donovan McNabb personally. And and there's a whole that's a whole nother podcast if we really want to do that sometime. But, oh, man, it, it anyway, going back to what you were saying, it's him or LeBron in our lifetime. And when you're when you're in that kind of company, right? I mean, it's un, it's undisputed. He's the greatest football player of all time. And, and this game to me, because being a football player and, and being a, a, you know, football is a sport, as we, as I've mentioned last week, and I'll probably mention a hundred times again, quarterback is the most context dependent position in all of sports. You need so much to go right in order for you to win. And half of the game you're not even on the field and you have no control over LeBron can go back and play defense. LeBron can come back and, and literally put his stamp on every single aspect and can borderline single-handedly drag the Cleveland Cavaliers to the finals against golden state warriors. Right. You can't do that in football, but what Tom Brady has done and, and what is the, the biggest, you know, whatever the opposite of an indictment is on uh, what this Super Bowl is for the legacy of Tom Brady is how he was able to galvanize that entire locker room, both sides of the football. Because as you said uh, two weeks ago, Vito, when you're talking about you love listening to the post-game press conferences, right? Because you get to hear how these guys talk about him. Did y'all hear how he was talked about last night from by his teammates? The way he, they just pour admiration for him. Because it was, it's like a player coach. It's like you want to win it for him like he's a coach, but at the same time, he is your leader. He is the one who was literally taking you on to the battlefield and, and, and directing which direction your team goes. And he changed a culture. You know, think about where we were. And if you're a Tampa Bay fan, think about where you were 365 days ago, right? 
Tampa Bay seemed like a dark horse candidate to land Tom Brady. You had Jameis Winston and you were like, I guess we're moving on from Jameis, right? They were talking about whether or not they're going to bring back Jameis Winston. Like this team to overhaul that much from a culture perspective in one year, in less than one year, when you really think about it, because he didn't get didn't there. Have camp no either. There was no mini camp. There's no OTAs. And that's one of the things that has kind of gotten lost here was, you know, when, when Tom Brady moved, decided to go to Tampa Bay, we were in the middle of the pandemic. We were all on lockdown. It was March. You know, there was no sports going on. And it was one of the first things when sports got canceled uh, that we were able to kind of like lock on to as sports fans to kind of dissect and figure out what it was going to be like. It was a, it was a really, really big deal. So he did all of this within the pandemic, which again is crazy. Like meanwhile, everyone else in the country, it seems like is struggling to get by struggling to make ends meet dealing with personal life stuff, right. And in, in trying to cope with this pandemic, Tom Brady does something that had literally never been done in a sport that we didn't think would be possible to do in, you there's not enough that you can say because we've we were all so excited you know to see what this was going to be like but nobody thought that they were actually going to win no one's out there was out there like hammering futures saying that no doubt tampa bay is going to win the super bowl this year like no one was doing that i I gotta gotta, yeah i got a friend who is so lucky today because guess what he did Second Brady went there, hit some futures, and goddamn it, is he going to rake it in? <laughs> Good for him, man. But I just, I think it's, it's been downplayed almost now because, like, we live in, in a sports society where it's always the next piece of information, it's always the next story. It's everything has such a short shelf life, you know, when it comes to uh, the, the way we our news cycle in sports goes. But we were talking about, like, man, is he going to have enough to do it? Is he actually going to be able to pull it off in one year? Like. Uh, and to then actually go out and do it, I think in hindsight now, we're almost forgetting like how much we question whether or not this could ever happen. And a part of it too is we had never seen him do it without Belichick. But no, I, I'm with you, man. I, I am literally uh, talking about putting oh. your foot in your mouth. I was like, it's never happened before. It will never happen. A quarterback to go to a new team, win a Super Bowl, bullshit. No way. Right. I'm the one out there egging that this can't happen. And I'm the one sitting here so odd because it's like, yeah, this is so incredible. And like, look at I your hope Broncos. Are we thinking like, look at your Broncos veto when they brought in Peyton Manning. Yeah, like, it takes a that's really years, that's, for a legend. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, too, Peyton Manning still went on to win the MVP and break the touchdown passing record that year or and within a couple of years. Like he still yeah. had a lot more left in the tank as far as pure talent is concerned than I think what Brady has now. But it's still crazy because. As obviously, you know, we were getting ready for the Super Bowl. They kept showing all these old highlights from Tom Brady in his first couple Super Bowls in the early stages of his career. And he looks better, more athletic, faster. Like everything about him looks like he's a better athlete now at 43 than he was at 23. Which because again, he doesn't eat strawberries. That's why. <laughs> no, no, but for real, it's because that's a guy who meant, and this will happen at any point in any phase of any life. He is willing to give everything, including what he eats and his body and his routine. And he's willing to do everything he is to get better. That guy has gotten better every single fucking year in one way or another. And that's how you become the greatest of all time and anything. Yeah. And, and so get, I want to, I want to pull back a little bit here. Cause I think it's worth going through kind of how the game actually unraveled. You know, I, I, we, we've, we have uh, loved up Tom Brady. I think plenty <laughs> Uh, on this pod and every ounce of it is deserved again not trying to take ev- anything off yes i know the the hand motion you're giving there scott is what i was thinking too i just didn't know if i wanted <laughs> to say that on the pod uh, 
So those at home, you can probably guess what I was trying to say there. But, <laughs> you know, if, if we go through this game, it started off like like a pretty good Super Bowl. You know, it was more defense. It was three punts to start the game. And then Kansas City, you know, gets the field goal. Uh, the officiating is going to be one of the things that gets talked about a lot in this game. Uh, and there were a lot of bad calls, you know. Uh, I, I would have liked to have seen them call the game like they called the Tampa Bay Green Bay game you know, let them play a little bit. Because I think when the refs did make calls, they came in opportune or inopportune moments. Uh, and, and a lot of them were questionable. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we, we saw a couple of situations where the chiefs are, you know, driving down the field and they just, whether it was like a third and seven, you know, a lot of these kind of, you know, longer third and distance kind of plays they were throwing short of the line a lot. And that's one of the things that really bugs me as a, as a fan is like, why I understand like you've checked downs and whatnot, but when you're, when you're throwing on a third and seven and you're throwing a three yard drag across the middle on, on a mesh route, you know, I, that to me, unless you have it schemed up perfectly is bad play calling. It's not as aggressive as you should be when you have someone like Pat Mahomes. Yeah. I think it was half that though. And half what we talked about earlier with the, with the Tampa defense, they were playing two safeties high. They were doubling uh, Tyreek Hill. They were doubling um, Travis Kelsey. And so they were forcing Mahomes to be like, all right, well now my options are uh, Sammy Watkins, Cole Hardman or uh, Byron Pringle. Um, and none of them <laughs> are as efficient route runners as uh as the other two guys. So I think that's part of what, like I said, part of the play calling, um, but also part of that's who was open. Uh, oh, for sure. Time. And that's not to take anything away from Tampa Bay's defense. Like what they were able to do without blitzing. Cause that's so much of it, right. Creating that pressure with just your front four. Uh, they did a really good job of, uh, and this is something that we saw the Eagles do against uh, the Patriots the year that they won. Uh, and it was what allowed Brandon Graham to get the strip sack at the end of the game is they, they set up, they do stunts and, and, and Vito, you were talking about this on the last pod, you know, they, they were creating these stunts where your inside guys and your outside linebackers are basically taking away the tackles. Uh, and they would kind of just overload one side or the other, force Mahomes out to his left, make him be uncomfortable, make him throw the ball on the run which normally like, again, isn't a problem for Pat Mahomes. Like that's, that's kind of what he does. But when you can do that with just four guys rushing the passer on any, on any given down, you're not able to, uh, you're able to then drop more guys into coverage, right? So if you're creating pressure with four, that means you have seven guys that you're able to drop into coverage, as opposed to if you're blitzing somebody, if you're sending five, six, you have less people behind you. And Mahomes is so good against the blitz. They knew they couldn't do that. So they were like, all right, well, we have to create pressure somehow. And they were able to get matchups between, uh, you know, JPP and Shaq Barrett going up against, you know, inside guys. And, and ultimately that's why when you look down the sack list, you know, J Jason Pierre Paul didn't have a sack, you know, Shaq Barrett had one, but the guys who had sacks were interior defensive linemen for uh, Tampa Bay because of those stunts, because of the way they were running that, you know, that whole defense. So again, nothing taken away from there, but we're talking about the most creative offense that frankly we've ever really seen on, on a night in and night out basis. Now seeing two years kind of of this in three years, of this Kansas city offense. I think one of the things Kansas city is really lacking and, and it would have been helpful if they did more of it was just having a traditional running game. 
You know, they're, they're so creative. They get so cute with some of this stuff. Uh, I, I still think uh, there's an argument to be made that the best team that we saw for Kansas city was when Kareem hunt was still there. And they, they had a true running back who was able to run the ball, you know, and, and Mahomes was less experienced. And, and I would say Mahomes is better now. Like if you put Mahomes three years in the league on that same roster, I think that team's probably better. Uh, obviously it's better, but I think that team like doesn't lose in the AFC championship game against Tom Brady, which they still almost won that game. Cause remember when to overtime, and they never even saw the ball. Just mm-hmm. Tampa, or Tom Brady just you know took it down the field, and the Patriots ended up winning that game. Uh, all, all in all, man, I, I look at what Kansas City did going into this game, and just the word I keep thinking of is underwhelmed. You know, I was just underwhelmed on every aspect. Um, and, and it's worth noting, I think that entire locker room was going through some shit. You know, the story that came out about Andy Reid's son uh, getting into a car crash. Uh, it. it He's a coach on their team. You know, this wasn't when Andy Reid's son passed away when he was with the Eagles, which was a horrible thing that happened. Um, but this is a guy who was the outside linebackers coach. He's someone who, who is an important and integral part of what Kansas City does defensively. Uh, but when that happens in your, in your locker room and there's all this uncertainty and then you get media speculation, you get people saying stuff, it's really hard to kind of come back from. So the Kansas City Chiefs didn't look like the Kansas City Chiefs in this game. No, um, they didn't. And to your point about that, that story, um, I think, um, you know, there, there was never a doubt that Andy Reid was going to not going to coach in this game. It's a Super mm-hmm. Bowl, but like um, in, in a position where you spend so much time in your office away from your family um, to then have to get to the point where you bring in your family on that staff so that you can be able to spend more time with them. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to, to, uh, to reconcile as a father, uh, let alone a, a football coach. Right. Um, you know, when something like that happens, you would assume that the, the fatherly duty would be to transport yourself from the, the, action of your job to being a father right Mm, that's like the the number one priority is the family um and so to kind of bury it down um and then deal with it sunday after the game and today or whatever um for andy reed um i think was i I don't want to go as far as to say that that kind of uh was a, a distraction um, in his mind, uh, but I'm sure it, it had was. to, it had yeah. to be there, right? I, I, you know, I think, I think it has level. to. I think it has to be. Um, I, I don't think you're a human if it's if it's not on, on some level, you know. So, I, and that's not to say that like the Chiefs had no shot because of this. You know, I, I think it was just another thing that added uh, and kind of just made the whole situation more complicated. And, and it's obviously a you know heart heart wrenching story. And, and the the little girl who is currently in um, intensive care in the hospital, you know, obviously we're all sending our thoughts and, and prayers and, and best wishes to her and, and, and her family. Um, but right now, I mean, when, when something like that happens, something that is such a human based thing, like you said, like it, it's, it, it's bigger than football, but in a lot of ways it, it kind of wasn't because in any other context, you know, we wouldn't, in any other context, we wouldn't expect that person to then show up and work. But when it's the biggest sporting event in the world, 
you, know, you, you didn't really have a choice and he, and he kind of ended up doing it anyway. So it was definitely something that changed the, just the complexity of um, what, what this game was for Kansas city. And I thought it could have had one of two effects. I thought it could have galvanized them and, and gotten them, you know, we're going to go out, we're going to try to win this thing for, for Brett. And, and ultimately uh, that wasn't the outcome here, but again, Kansas city had, a lot more on the field issues uh, when it came to just how under prepared or maybe just undermanned. Like, I, I just think the offensive line thing just can't be understated, you know? And, and, and when you have Patrick Mahomes running that much scrambling for 500 yards before he even gets the ball away there, there's, there's nothing you can do. Cause as yeah. talented as Mahomes is, that's still not going to be enough. Uh, you know, even he has limitations. Even Patrick Mahomes is human at that position. Yeah. Yeah. But I Jeff, think, I think one I of think... the biggest points about the effect of the line, the effect of all this stuff really showed up in the game when they couldn't get really sustained drives that long. That's why they, they only had three field goals. Right. Like, yeah. And, and also uh, because they couldn't run the ball well and, and those, the whole line was getting beat, it, you know, the exterior too, but the interior did not play their game either. And whether that was due to the, the, coordination of those i'm not sure but what was incredible to see um was in the second quarter when it was one of those situations where you knew pat was going to go mahomes was going to go down and score and he just they, they couldn't they couldn't punch it in the end with a field goal and then brady gets it back goes down and scores right before half and then again right after halftime mahomes gets the ball gets a field goal can't get it in, in the end zone and then the next possession the Bucks go down and score a touchdown. And really those two differences on those back-to-back, those four possessions that we saw in a row, again, split by a extended halftime, was still just so incredible because it's so hard and there's always a momentum swing usually at half of the team that's down and you get to see something because it's extended, it's longer. There's more going on. It didn't happen. The Chiefs came out and that defense from the Bucks still got it from them, held them to a field goal and then just turned it around. That Bucks offense, man, was just pounding that ball. Yeah. Well, and once they got a lead, you know, the Bucks were never, they just weren't giving it back, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you, you think back to Kansas city had that a huge goal line stand, uh, you know, that at that point it was a seven to three game and it looked like it was going to get broken open. All of a sudden we're saying, man, there's some life left in this Kansas city team and they're not done yet. And also how many times have we seen Patrick Mahomes come back after, you know, being down a big, a giant deficit, you know, they, they, they did it all year. They did it against Miami, they did it against Atlanta, you know, and they've done it. They did it last year in the Super Bowl against San Francisco, like the ability to, to come back because of how explosive they are and to stay that disciplined defensively for Tampa Bay to make sure that no matter what happens in this game, we're not letting them, beat us over the top. We're not letting Tyree kill have the big play we're, we're they took away the big play. And even the 130 yards that Kelsey had, I think he had like almost 70 of them in the last two or three drives there in the fourth quarter, when they were just scrambling to get something. Uh, I, and they look, there were a lot of big drops that play when Mahomes was literally parallel to the ground when he released the football, but still slung it 40 yards. Like that to me was the most impressive throw I've ever seen in my life. He literally did not have a foot on the ground. He was literally like mid air diving because he was getting tackled and just flicks this thing 40 yards down the rear, down the road or 
down the road, down, down the field. And it drills. I think it was, it was either Pringle or Hardman was one of those guys hit him square in the face mask, like literally through a perfect throw. And they just, it look, some nights it's in your favor. And sometimes you just have bad, weird luck. You do things that are out of character. And I think that's part of what happens in the Super Bowl, and I think that gets amplified when you look across the sideline and you see Tom Brady sitting there with that stare that you were talking about, Vito, just death stare, lockdown, you know, taking you out kind of a kind of a mentality. And it, it <laughs> the influence he has on both sides of the ball, on both teams, just by being Tom Brady and everything that he's accomplished, I think also plays, you know, a big role into what this game ended up being, which was like I said, to kind of lead it off here, kind of a crappy game. It, it just really wasn't wasn't a Super Bowl we're going to remember more than just Tom Brady getting his seventh ring. And I think that is ultimately going to be the thing that we remember when we take away here uh, from this game. But guys, there was also, you know, the the one of the things that's amazing about the Super Bowl is the pageantry, you know, the environment, you know, whether you had a Super Bowl party or didn't. And obviously, COVID's still going along or, uh, around, so hope everyone who did was uh, responsible with that, you know, and making sure who you're, who you're getting to see, but (laughs) there's a lot of fun things that get involved here. And one of the things we hit on heavily uh, is Vito's rubbing his hands because he knows where I'm going with this is the gambling aspect of it. Right. So uh, if you listen to the pod last week, um, you will know that I was very wrong. I was wrong about everything in this game. Like literally every possible way I could have been wrong I was wrong in this game other than I did say, Oh, I think this one might be a blowout, but if you take the teams off, you know, <laughs> take away the teams and it, it, it still works. But man, I, I had, I know Vito, you had a good night. Obviously you and Scotty both picked um, the right team. Scotty was, uh, you guys were both close actually. Um, to the scores, as far as on the, the Tampa Bay side of it, obviously none of us were close when it came to trying to predict Tampa Bay. I had, uh, a legitimate offer. I went 0 for 10 in my bets. Uh, and oh. they, they, they were all like small bets, side bets, you know, big odds things that I need to happen, but they were all in the vein of Kansas city is going to win this team, this game. And the one bet that I was really, really close to hitting on was I had Ronald Jones for an anytime touchdown. That was like plus 400. And that goal line stand we were just talking about Ronald Jones had two opportunities at fourth and goal and didn't get it in the freaking end zone. <sighs> so it wasn't the most fun Super Bowl to watch because the game sucked, but it made it even worse that I literally had an 0 for 10 in my bets. That Jeff, we've all been there. God, I feel for you that that was the Super Bowl. I hope you get like a, a college basketball rush luck streak, but I'm I'm just lucky because I was again on the other side. It actually was so funny. I, I know I, I talked on this podcast. I, I did put a hundred dollars on tails and I don't know mm. why we're just letting other people come in here and toss the coin. Okay. I just want to, I know, I know, but let's get, I, I don't like it. Let's get the referee <laughs> because you know what? I've, I've looked at some statistics and I'm pretty sure referees in the regular games throw a higher percentage of tails than Super Bowl tossing, which happens by other folks. So uh, yeah, because that's that's what determines the <laughs> coin toss. Is that is it a referee it that's is. the one flipping yeah. the coin versus yeah. you know they have some the veteran. form. They have the form. But the point is, is that I was lucky because that was the bet I did lose massively, and it sucks when you start off the night down a hundred. But 
what was great is for some reason, shout out Barstool Sportsbook. They just gave me the hundred back. I have no idea why. I, I, I also won some other bets, but it was not that without a doubt. I had a, I actually had 50 on uh, that. No score would, uh, no team would score three times in a row. And mm-hmm. we were talking about this. It, it was one of those things that made the game so exciting, even though it was not an exciting game, because every time Kansas City had the ball and Tampa had scored twice, Casey would go down and kick a field goal. That's exactly how it worked out throughout the game. So I was so invested. And then I had Tampa money line with a hundy. So it was a good night, but it was, uh, it was exciting for me. And unfortunately, Jeff, it made the game less exciting for you. Well, it it makes it exciting, especially one of the cool things that now that it's legal, uh, at least where I'm at and and, in many different places now across the country, uh, the best bet from the whole, the whole game, like the best turnout was the national anthem. It was the, oh, yeah. the over under was set so high at two. Was it two twenty two? I think was the, the over under that at least the guy who I was with. Was, at, that I, was had I had one fifty nine. Yeah. yeah I, I oh really? Yeah. So uh, maybe this guy just bet it later, and and the line jumped when some of those you know insider reports who were there for sound check and stuff kind of leak out. But we were sitting there because one guy at the party had uh, the over. And we, we literally are timing it. Like we have the stopwatch going on the phone and everyone's sitting around it. And they get to the point where it's like, and the home of the brave. Like it was this long, like six second pause that literally. Like they knew. <laughs> it literally hit. Yeah, seriously. That's a great, maybe they did. Like it, it when they, it looked like it was going to hit the under and then they hit that pause. And then the over hit and, and everyone in the room just went nuts. Just like you said, like you put the hundred dollars on the, on the coin flip. Anyone who's there is going to be, Hey, shut the hell up. Let's all lock in and listen to this. Uh, Scotty, I hope you did better than me. How did your night go uh, as far as our, our, our gambling came? Uh, so if we're, I did Super Bowl squares with my family in uh, <clears throat> the first quarter, I missed by three points. Second and third quarter, I missed by one point. I was pissed. Uh, even though it was a logical decision, I was pissed that the uh, Bucks did not go for two right before the half. Uh, that would have that would have won me two hundred dollars. Um, and then, obviously, there was no scoring in the fourth, so uh, I was I was close there as well. But uh, just not great. Um, I think I I was about half and half. I I got the over on the anthem i hit that um i hammered that over the coin flip uh i had tails as well uh, i did not get my money back unfortunately like Vito. um uh why are we letting nurses flip the coin i'm sorry she's very uh i'm glad she's doing what she's doing <laughs> great come oh, on Scott. great captains and great stories behind that all it was really cool i will say the whole pageantry before the super bowl and the nfl has always done this pretty damn well um is like with the current events and what they did with the draft, like what they tried to do. Not all of it hit with the Roger Goodell funny stuff that was going on when he sat in the chair, but like they've done really well this year with COVID and everything like that. And yeah, um, that was, I would, I love what they did at the beginning there. That yeah, was so cool. it, they did a great job. Um, and then the other ones I had, I had the puppy bowl. I, I went uh, team fluff. They lost team rough one in the puppy bowl. 17. That's right. Uh, Scotty, my boys. I know. Yeah. That's a bad rough. one. And they then, were saltier. <laughs> Uh, I had the Gatorade at orange. It was blue. We found out last night. Late last night, they Wait, cut to Bruce Arians. Is it blue? And, yeah, his back was wet. I heard it was clear. No, his back was wet, and uh, uh, somebody had poured something on him, and um, 
and that was when I was texting you guys. I was like, in all caps, but what color was the Gatorade? We didn't see it poured. Uh, we just saw that uh, that Bruce Arians was uh, was damp. And so um, I I kept trying to, to research it over the night. Uh, gave up after I had another beer in bed. And then um, uh, found out this morning that it was blue. It was indeed blue Gatorade, which was a plus 700. Uh, so if you had blue Woo! Gatorade, good for you. I think there is dis- um, I think there I had- is there is some uh, some debating going on about whether it was clear or not. Because I had heard it was. I didn't get a chance to see it. I was on my way back. Once the- I didn't even stay for this. Might be the, the uh, a football fan card. You know they have man cards. Just football fan card taken away from me here. I left before the end of the Super Bowl because it was. What. It was- I just, I, I, dude, I, it was over. It was after the last interception. It was, it was cooked. Oh. Over before that. Okay. But, but can I ask this when you got, did you get home and did you watch like the podium and all that stuff? Or did you just, I watched some of it from my phone, but I'm not going to lie. I was pretty pissed. That's fair though. That's fair though. Because you I, did, I sure it was not I your knew, night. Yeah. I, I made sure that I caught everything I needed to catch, uh, you know, important stuff to be prepared for the pod and everything like that. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I was, your, your boy was not, was not feeling it. Had one too many, you know, sarsaparillas and, uh, and the bets were not going my way. So I you know, ended up changing that, but yeah, we, we, talk hey, about, we feel for you, man. We've all been there and, and, uh, you minor know, setback. next minor year setback it'll be for a major comeback, baby. That's all it is, man. That's it. You can't come back if you're not down. I'm also like, that's I'm right. Not, My I'm fantasy not, like, team betting. was 0-13. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like I'm, do. <laughs> not, I'm not betting on, you know, like money lines and that kind of stuff as much. I bet for stuff that is less likely to happen in general. So I don't usually expect to have a really high hit percentage and whatnot. Uh, and I'm, I'm stoked for next year, you know, to be able to parlay like other games that are going on for the regular season to have that here uh, as well. Cause that, that's a really good way of getting, you know, the increased odds vetoes three way, uh, which is a, a segment that we have not gotten a chance to do on the pod here. Yeah, on this pod yet but on our old one you know we had a segment every week Vito's three-way uh, and he would give us a three-way parlay and we w- would talk it out and try to help make you guys some money but uh, anything else from the gambling side that we haven't hit yet here before because I, I want to get into some we were talking about the pageantry I want to get into like the other stuff that makes the Super Bowl so great the commercials halftime show that stuff but is there anything else from a gambling perspective that we haven't hit from this game were there any really bad beats not you know i can't really think of of any like it was just such a a unique game and how it played out score wise and stat wise there was Um, though this is interesting um the the rob gronkowski first player to score a touchdown was the second most uh it was basically the worst case scenario for uh fanduel i know this is for fanduel specifically just because i heard this on a ringer pod and they're tied up that way uh legally but it was this based off the amount of money that had come in and the odds, it was the second worst outcome that FanDuel could have had. The worst would have been Patrick Mahomes on a rushing touchdown. Uh, but the Rob Gronkowski first person to score a touchdown, which, you know, like casual fans who aren't, uh, who don't overthink it like we do. Like we're, we're so in the weeds on, on shit. Like we're so locked in on like trying to look up stats and DVOA and all this other crap. Like their casual fan recognizes the name Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady and goes, oh yeah, look at that. That's pretty good odds. I'll throw a little money on that. And uh, they were down seven figures from that right off the gate. That was a seven figure hit for them. So that, I guess that's the one last little thing there 
for uh, as far as gambling, that little nuggets um, that were worth talking about. But uh, the other thing, you know, again, as I was alluding to, is everything that goes into the Super Bowl, right? It's an event. It's not just the game. It's an event. It's everything that goes around it. So uh, I want to talk right now a little about the, the, the weekend. Beside the fact that there were so many terrible jokes made about the weekend uh, and just bad puns left and right, what did you guys think of the halftime show this year? So I, mean, I, I, I loved it, man. I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was just, it was a lot of like songs that at least I like, like I, I like his music. So that also helps a lot, obviously, but it was songs that I like, and at least it was a different kind of performance because like um, it, it was really interesting uh, when it started off and clearly he's very vocally talented. So that was awesome to see like a guy who's just really talented saying live. Mm-hmm. We also haven't had that in so long that I feel like I was craving it. Right. Like, how lucky not only were did these people get to see the Super Bowl, they got to see the weekend perform and no one's seen anyone perform. Like this is this was an incredible show. Um, and I guess that's what built it up even more. And and then you know, when when it hit the field and he had all those things the versions of him, and I'm not very like on social media, but I know that like he had that rap on his face and everyone was like, What is that for? And then all of a sudden, all these people come out wearing it. And I was like, This is awesome. Like that it played into something recently and like it, it kind of had that feel of a current events built into it. It just felt like something different. And, and I really, really enjoyed it. What about you guys? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm going to steal a take from one of my buddies um, who is not a sports fan, but is a very big music fan. And uh, he, he, I, I, he said, I think if, if the weekend keeps, he's really talented. And if he keeps working at, at, this craft as he has over the last what six seven years when he came out first with the uh his first hit was the song about uh the cocaine not being able to feel his face or whatever it is um and no, he won a kid's choice award for that song by the way i uh, that's bizarre to me that's the weekend the one non-kid friendly song don't mean to interrupt but that's just that's hilarious to me like you you want a kid's choice award for the song that's about doing so much cocaine that you literally cannot feel your own face yeah yeah that's a bit of a dichotomy. Um, but yeah, my, my buddy said if he actually keeps working, um, you know, at his craft is it's apparent that he has over the, the last few years uh, that he's, he should be a, a part of the rock and roll hall of fame, which I tend to agree with. I think he's very, very talented. I think he's a great singer. I didn't realize until he held that note for 30 seconds that he's a, as talented a vocalist as he is. Um, the show itself was, you know, if he had epilepsy, that was a bit of a problem. Um, and I did not realize that uh, that the the costuming for the uh, the backup dancers was uh, due to, to COVID friendly regulations. Uh, they oh. looked weird, like they were part of Slipknot or something. But uh, they they were doing that because they had to be uh, masked up because there were so many of them. It works on both uh, fronts there, like Vito said, because he, yeah. he I think every public performance. He had or uh, public appearance he had made in 2020. He had that wrap on around his head until uh, it was like two weeks ago, or no, it was like maybe a month ago or so. It was right on the end, and he did like a reveal, and he, he looked like handsome Squidward. You guys remember that? Are you guys too yeah, old yeah. to get that reference? The, yeah, the SpongeBob no, episode of uh, the episode of SpongeBob where, where Squidward like all of a sudden looks like super handsome and everything like they changed like he, he kind of looked like that it was actually a little freaky it was all cosmetics and it was it was because of his you know he released a song that was about 
drunk driving and the aftermax and everything else. So it was supposed to be uh, emblematic to that response. But the fact that it worked on both on both counts and they were able to yeah. use it from a mask perspective is really cool. Th- this performance was like it, it was fine. You know, like I didn't hate it. You know, I'm not a huge weekend fan. I'm a huge fan of pop music in general. Um, but the one thing that I've kind of noticed with this this individual, just the halftime show in, in general, is that forever it was considered to be like a, a massive honor. Like if you got asked to do the Super Bowl halftime show, you were one of the biggest musicians in the world. It was a stage. It was back in the day where there wasn't YouTube to look up people having, you know, live performances and what people did and, and, and how people could get their fix and do get their fix for live music now, or at least recordings of live, live music. And I think one of the interesting, you know, kind of progressions here as, as time has gone on is as that kind of stuff is more open, you know, and that was a, that was a captive audience of 20 to 30 million people every single year that like, it was, it meant a lot to get that, not just symbolically, but also like for your career, it meant a lot. Uh, And I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, kind of just going through some of the past uh, great performances that we had seen. And I'd be curious if you guys have like a specific one that stands out to you. I know we mentioned the Springsteen one uh, in 2009, which was an awesome performance. He was, he was excellent, but the Prince in 2007, when Prince did the halftime show, it was in Miami and a uh, massive rainstorm came in. So they are, you know, and there's an awesome story. The ringer did an oral history about it. And the producer, the, the head producer goes down to like Prince's manager or someone else. And is like, Hey, like it's downpouring rain. Like this is really dangerous. The way the stage was set up, there was about a half inch of water just sitting on this like very slick surface. Uh, is, is he good to go? And Prince responds to him or the guy says back to me, he says, yeah, Prince wanted to know if you could make it rain more. And I was just like, oh, like, dude, like, what a G Prince was. And then he goes out. And and so much of what the Super Bowl halftime show, for me at least, is the set list. Like, what, what songs are you picking for? And he did uh, three covers to start off and then does Purple Rain. And he's doing it in this downpouring rain. The two, like, big dance, the two girl dancers that were, were with him on stage were dancing in ridiculously high heels and super, super skinny heels and doing it on a stage that have no traction with a half inch of water sitting on it. And you just have Prince up there shredding guitar. Like people don't remember how good of a guitar player he was just purely just absolutely lighting it up. Um, and, and for as much as I appreciate what the weekend did, he gets credit for originality. He gets credit for the actual, like, you know, execution of the performance, which was great. I don't know if the Super Bowl halftime will ever be as, you know, dramatic and as awesome as it, as it was maybe when we were growing up. Doesn't take anything away. You know, the, the one last year with Shakira and J-Lo was phenomenal, especially if you're a dude. <laughs> like, that was, <laughs> if you're a straight guy, that Super Bowl halftime show was like, oh, my God, seriously? You're, you're letting us, all right, yeah, cool, awesome. And they were good also picks. both they were good picks and they were also incredible musically, which, which made it just that much, you know, better, but yeah, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Is it, is it, has it lost its luster over the years or, or am I just old man, you know, yelling at clouds? I, I think that you have something to the point of like, it's so much easier to access live music and it doesn't like you can do a YouTube special just and get like potentially a lot of viewers. Yes. You're still getting a million, like, you know, you're getting a ton, um, it's the Super Bowl. Every eye's on it. Like it's it's still the biggest event we have. So like 
it's still an honor, but I, I don't know that you make some good points. It is funny though. That's also the only Super Bowl ever that it's ever rained. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. And, and like, uh, that was Peyton Manning and he goes out and they were, he was saying to everyone, like, it's, you know, it's been 40 some years. Like it's never rained. It's, it's not going to rain. And then they walk out, there's a raining and he's like, Oh, here we go. That was he Colts threw- and bears, right? Yeah. And he threw two picks and he got MVP and that was Devin Hester's opening kickoff oh my return. God. Oh, wait, yo, wait. So go ahead. I, I have well, some. And, and, go and I, it all relates back to the Super Bowl because to this one, because something I noticed, and I've been talking about this a lot over the last couple of years. One of my favorite things that used to happen in Super Bowls was that moment when the balls kicked off and everyone has a camera with a flash mm-hmm. and it just bursts around. It, it is, was one of the coolest things ever. And so I just loved it. It was one of the best moments. And because of like what we have in our cameras are so good on phones and everything. And like, I don't know if people just aren't doing it. And we only had like a quarter of the stadium or however many it was. Yeah. Uh, that was just, so, it wasn't there. And it, it felt like the kickoff, even though it was awesome with people there and it felt different, like, you know, the crowd was in it. It still just was this moment that fell flat for me. And it, it was, it's all based from moments like that where it's like, yeah all these cameras are going off and Devin Hester then returns it for a touchdown and all these cameras go off again. And I just remember being like one of the craziest moments and it was in the rain. It, it was wild. Devin Hester is, I mean, I, I, I don't know about you guys. One of the things that made me fall in love with football when I was younger was kick returners. Like it didn't matter what team they were on. Kick returners were my favorite players in the NFL. I had a Devin Hester Jersey. And yesterday I tweeted this out because I was looking through my old, jersey collection because i never wanted like i was always so weird i never wanted like the the quarterback or the wide receiver i always wanted like an obscure player's jersey for whatever reason which is kind of i guess paid off in some regards now i have these cool older jerseys but i had a dante hall chiefs jersey for a long time and dante hall might be on the list up there with devin hester of just purely electrifying players like some of the highlights if you want to go have fun watching you know a youtube rabbit hole just type in devin or uh, dante hall career highlights and you will be entertained for as as long as you can sit there because it he was so phenomenal but these kick returners you know it's an aspect of the game that i totally get why we've changed it and why you know we've we have eliminated aspects the kickoff is the most dangerous play in football and, and has been for a long time but yeah, man. I don't know. You said Devin Hester, and it just made, made me kind of go back. And, Dante and, also a legend. Think, uh, it, it sucked being a Broncos fan growing up and watching him. Like, one of his best moves, if you watch his highlight tape, even a minute reel, this will be on it. He ju- he goes forward, and then he jumps back, and one Bronco flies into another Bronco, and then he jumps forward, and then another guy comes in, and he jumps back again and runs around everybody for a touchdown. I, and I it, tweeted out that exact gif. <laughs> Like the gif of him doing that was what I accompanied with the tweet saying, I really wish I had my Dante Hall jersey right now because of just how ridiculous that that play was. Um, But no, I mean, look, it's the Super Bowl, everything else, that Devin Hester moment, like these these moments will live on for us uh, forever. So I guess I'm curious now and just I want to know what you both think. Like, was there was there a moment from this game that's going to stick in your head? Like the most memorable individual thing for me, ironically, is probably going to be that. Pat Mahomes throw when he was literally horizontal to the ground and throwing it 35 yards down the field. Um, but this game didn't really feel like it had that. The, the Leonard Fournette touchdown run was when it felt like it was over. 
you know, that, that's kind of the one that I think too. And obviously the Gronk touchdowns, but was, was there a defining moment from the Super Bowl? For me, it's, it's the Tom Brady stare in the second quarter. That's what I'll remember from this in 50 years when someone's asking me about like, was he really the great at like, you know, yeah, he has all the numbers, but like when he was doing it, was he really like the best guy out there? Like, cause Peyton will have, you know, yards and comparisons and stuff, but like, yeah, he, without a doubt, like was just the best competitor in football and just showed it his whole career. And it's unarguable. And, and like, I think the stare is one thing I'll remember in his career, honestly, over a lot of other things. Yeah. It's the Jordan shrug, but, um, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know. There there wasn't anything really play-wise that stood out to me. Yeah, that the couple of passes that uh, Mahomes made, like, circus-type uh, passes on, the fact that he was parallel to the ground and slung the ball 30 yards. You know, if even one of those gets caught, I'm like, all right, that's something I can take away. Um, Brady being Brady, obviously. Um, I think – most of what I thought about after the game was uh, when I was reflecting on this was uh, the greatness of Tom Brady, just how unparalleled uh, and untouched that seven Super Bowls will be. And even maybe getting to 10 uh, in addition to that. Um, and then thinking about how uh, the punter Bradley Pinion uh, will, <laughs> who was with the Niners will have a Super Bowl and have beaten Mahomes prior to uh, the Niners getting their their sixth Super Bowl. I just and, and it, it two plays last year. All I could think about were the two plays: the one overthrow from Mahomes or from Garoppolo, and then the the one that Mahomes hits in the fourth quarter uh, when the Niners were up ten. Uh, just still steams me, but good for Brady. He did it. Yeah. Um, so it's and Jimmy Garoppolo didn't so. Those, um, you know, th- those, those missed catches or those Mahomes throws when, you know, that were just crazy. The one he's getting spun around like a rag doll and his, as he's falling down, you know, after literally doing a full 360 and then some slings it back and still put it where only Pringle could have caught it or yeah. Hardman, who, who, whoever it was. Those plays are just very emblematic to me of what this game actually was like in 50 years Vito, like you said, and by the way, it's not going to be somebody asking us. It's going to be us telling, (laughs) you know what I mean? We're going to be like, Hey, (laughs) back in my day, young whippersnapper, (laughs) sit down and let me tell you about what happened here. Cause that's, you think this is football. Let me, let me tell you about football. Let me tell you about a guy I watched called Tom Brady. (laughs) Exactly. Like that's what it's going to be. And very Adam Schefter of you. More importantly in 50, it was very Adam Schefter. Um, (laughs) In, in 50 years from now, when we are talking about this, the thing we, will remember will be Tom Brady ultimately in winning his seventh Super Bowl. But if I'm thinking about the image of it and in how I want the game, because so much of it is we, we pull away the storylines from each of these Super Bowls, right? When, when the Rams and Patriots played just two years ago, it was, Oh, what was the, you know, best defensive battle we've ever seen in a Super Bowl, right? You know, if the Eagles, it was the Philly special, like every Super Bowl you go down the line and you will pick out whatever, the main core message was and people don't go into like what actually happened in that game anymore. Like the football side of it gets lost in translation as time goes on. So I look at, you know, those plays as being emblematic of what happened from a football perspective, which is, you know, 
Pat Mahomes running around with like a chicken with his head cut off and just trying to survive and trying to do everything he possibly could, but having none of the support around him because this, this to me does not change the way I look at Pat Mahomes. And, and no, if you, God. if you, if you come back, if you come away from this game, you know, and there are people already out there who say that, who think it's, you know, oh, Mahomes is overrated or whatever. It's like, then, then you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And, and you shouldn't worry about what that person's opinion is when it comes to football. You know, it, what, what, Mahomes did this year being a 17 and one football team when he was the starting quarterback and, and just continually paving the way uh, is really crazy. The one other thing here, Vito too, and this is something we, you, we touched on last week, the bucks. Now it's become almost like a rule. If you are one of those lower seeds that has to work their way through the wild card weekend and everything else, was it now six of the seven that were on that list have now gone on to win the Super Bowl? That were, I think is right. You said it was six that were on that list, five of which won, one of which didn't. Yeah. And so now six of the seven who are, you know, not one of the top, was it top three seeds, but ended up going there? It was, it was anyone for like five or six, the wild card spot. Yeah. So a- anyone from the wild card spot, it's wild, right? Like, like the only one who, who didn't lose were, um, or the only one who lost rather was the Patriots in 95. And everyone since then has won. It's, it's kind of yeah. crazy. And, and I think that goes to show, like, I think there's an actual reason behind it. I don't think it's just an anomaly. I think I forget who said it when I was watching all the super, because they were talking about that on, I think it was Sunday NFL countdown um, or super bowl countdown, whatever the hell they called it on ESPN. But someone brought up that exact, you know, that exact stat. And it's for most teams, it's exhausting. It's hard to get to that point to even get to the super bowl, but obviously we've only seen it happen seven times, six of them went on to win the Super Bowl. I think those teams that do get to that point that are, that are wildcard teams and have to kind of grind even to get to the Super Bowl, they're built differently. You know what I mean? Like there's a, something special going on. There's, there's a, a cosmic force that's kind of directing, you know, what this is. And, and sometimes they say, you know, teams, some teams are just different. You know, some teams are just built differently. They just have something special that goes on in the locker rooms. And I think, those teams having to get through those rounds, having to go through the wild card, having to go through the divisional round, go through the conference championship, beating good teams to get there, beating other really good quarterbacks to get there. You know, he knocked off Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and of course, you know, Taylor Heineke. How can we ever forget about him? But like, I think to in order to do that, like once you win that conference championship game, you have so much confidence and you have so much that's built into there is nobody who is beating us this week. And I think that's kind of an, another thing as we, as we pull away here um, from the Super Bowl. Uh, I want to get to a break here quickly, and then we're going to go through uh, uh, the Hall of Fame inductions for this weekend. Uh, well, not the inductions, but the announcement of who's getting inducted, as well as the league awards. We're going to hit on some of that quickly. Uh, last thought here, talking about the Super Bowl, I want to wrap up quickly. Favorite Super Bowl commercial uh, from, from this year, Scotty Vito. Go ahead. My- Mine was the Cheetos one with Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher, like with and Shaggy providing the narrative. That was hilarious. It wasn't me. like, yeah, they it, it literally goes through the lyrics of the song, like, uh, but I caught you by the counter. It wasn't me, says Mila Kunis, and, and uh, in the shower and all that, all that stuff. It was, it was really well done, uh, with Shaggy, who, uh, uh, wow, that's a <laughs> that's a throwback, is uh, is Shaggy. Because uh, I remember listening to his music when I was when I was a lad. Um, but man, yeah, that was that was probably my favorite one of uh, of the evening. Vito, 
So mine was, uh, it was quick. And if you caught it, um, you know, it was pretty special. It was a five second ad and it was by Reddit and it flashed up quick. And I saw, I saw the Reddit logo on the bottom, right. And, um, I rewound and paused it. And, and if you didn't get to pause it, I'm going to read it quickly. And here's what it says. Wow. This actually worked. If you're reading this, it meant our bet paid off. Big game spots are expensive and we could only buy a fill for one but we were inspired and dedicated to spend our entire marketing budget on five seconds of airtime. One thing we learned from our communities last week is that underdogs can accomplish just about anything when they come together around a common idea. Who knows? Maybe you'll be the reason finance textbooks have to add a chapter on tendies. Maybe you'll help our slash superb owl teach the world about the majesty of owls. Maybe you'll even pause this five second ad, but powerful things happen when people rally around something they really care about. And there's a place for that. It's called Reddit. That like I paused and read that and I was like, fuck. It's like they said. They killed it. Cause um, you know, it, I've I've grown up now, like I've spent a lot of time on Reddit. I think, I don't know, it, it's just a place that a lot of people go. And um, it was just so cool to see a, a quick blip and like just that that aspect of everything that's gone on again recently in the, you know the last couple of weeks it's been so cool to, to see it incorporated into a super bowl aspect like this commercial yeah. it, it was it was really awesome so i i it's really cool that way man like one of the interesting things about reddit is i feel like it's almost the um you know like the the <laughs> If Twitter is the younger brother, you know, the who's got little brother syndrome, right, or middle child syndrome, right, you know, Reddit is the big brother. Reddit is is legitimately a place where people go to like, and, and get really positive feedback. Like it's one of the few social media platforms that isn't just engulfed in nothing in just nastiness and insecurity and people lashing out at each other and calling each other names and everything else. It's honestly like a very genuine platform. And I think because it's kind of held, it's not as pop. It's not as um, from a brand perspective, as big as Twitter or Facebook, you know, it is the number two social media site in our country. It's bigger than Instagram. It's bigger than Twitter. It has significantly more users than either of those sites. Um, I think behind like Pornhub and Facebook, it's like the third most visited website that Americans have um, in our society. So I think that's a, that's a really cool example uh, of that veto. And they called it out. I mean, look, they did the five second. It's a smart marketing thing. And, and now we're talking about it here on a podcast. So, I mean, ultimately that's the end goal. I, uh, because I was around other people, I was talking, mingling, doing all that kind of shit. Um, I didn't get a chance to lock in on all of the commercials, but the one that I did was the Will for, uh, Will Ferrell GM, you know, Ford, commercial which i thought was just so well done honestly anything will ferrell does like like our way and he's got the big beard and and the hair damn it (laughs) why is he so funny when he yells like no one else can be as funny when they yell it's like man this guy's angry or this guy's crazy when will ferrell yells it's just the funniest fucking thing every time so he's he is so goddamn funny because you're right the whole time you're dying laughing like everyone's laughing the it's not like oh this is a funny concept and then like you have like a punch or whatever here there like no everyone was dying laughing it was a comedy sketch as a commercial you know and it was for the hummer right it was for the new hummer was that it i literally couldn't even tell you what it was yeah which the new hummer now (laughs) looks like an suv which is it looks like a really nice suv but it's uh 
I, I knew that the uh, GMC now is, is making Hummers. So, you know, good for them. But yeah, I love I love just anything Will Ferrell does. I'm in on. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to tackle, like I said, we're going to go through the uh, NFL honors that came out this year. Walter Payton, Walter Mayton, eh, Walter Payton, man of the year, going to Russell Wilson, uh, as well as the new class of Hall of Fame inductees. And then we'll we'll wrap up the pod here and get you set up for a life without football. And by life, I mean like six months, but you get what it means. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. Uh, you know, as, as we are finishing up here in the NFL season, sad, sad to see it go, just like we do every, every year. This Monday is always like one of the most depressing days of the year if you're yeah. a big football fan. You know, it's hate just to like, see it go, but love to watch it leave. Yeah. Let's go. It's, it's baseball season. Boys. I hate to see it go, and I hate, no. to, I hate to watch it leave. It just makes me sad, though. All you FCS fans out there, get ready. We're getting a little Deion Sanders and Jackson State, North Dakota State, and of course, the James Madison University Dukes uh, are going to be playing all springs. We're actually going to get some like real spring football, and I'm more excited for this. And I bet you the numbers will be bigger for this than it will be for like the AAF and the XFL when they came back because I think college has it still feels like it's going to be college football, right? And there's still names and, and programs that you recognize even as a casual college football fan. So football's not gone entirely, uh, but football in a, the conventional way seems to be. And yeah, exactly. Cause there's also European football and, and they're going still for another couple months. Uh, if you, if yeah, you talk about that, Tampa Bay's owner owns Manchester United, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And uh, they're doing well. Uh, my boys, West Ham are doing well. Point is, is that all of those other Footballs will last us until the real king of football. Oh yeah, American football. And we got an back. awesome NBA season. Like we have an awesome NBA season going right now. I think one of the weird. Everyone thought last year felt weird even before the bubble, because the Warriors went from being this incredible team, this incredible run that they had, to all of a sudden Kevin Durant's gone, Clay Thompson's not coming back because of the Achilles. Draymond's taking a step back, and then Steph gets hurt. Steph so it, got hurt. One yeah. of the big things the NBA has always needed to be successful is a villain. You need a heel in the NBA in order to kind of pull it up. No one knows who to hate in the last year, and it was this open competition where it was going to be a new team because players change so frequently. You know, it was going to be a new look team that was going to win it. You know, in the NBA season right now, we have a team that people don't like in the Lakers, right? And LeBron, and, and there's plenty that gets wrapped up in that. But there's a lot of really good teams. The East is wide open. My Sixers are crushing yeah, it right Philly now. Philly is great. Um, Embiid <clears throat> is, is playing like team. an MVP. The, the Nuggets and Jokic. And, and Jokic, too, yeah. yeah. The Utah Jazz are in first place in the Western Conference right now behind Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. There's a lot of fun stuff. So yeah. we got plenty and of – And my Warriors aren't doing too bad either. I got to no. tell you, I like James Wiseman. Steph Curry, man. I, oh, I said this. I said this on the solo pod last week, dude. Steph Curry is just when he's cooking. Oh, man, I can watch that dude play basketball forever. Yeah. Oh, it's but pretty, isn't it? To to put a bow up on what this 2020 NFL season was, uh, in addition to having the Super Bowl this week, and we got all of our league awards. You know, MVP goes to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and, and we'll go through the list here and just kind of give some of our thoughts on all that. But we also had our Hall of Fame inductees. So I think it's worth taking the time going through here. If you're if you're a big football fan, all of this feels as though it's it's worth kind of diving into. So um, let's start off here with just the MVP, which was Aaron Rodgers won it almost unanimously. I think Mahomes, I think Mahomes had four votes. Um and, and the rest went to Aaron Rodgers. There might have been one other, uh, you know, skew kind of random vote out there that, that went to somebody else. 
Um, but Aaron, Aaron Rodgers brings it home, which I think is, I think it's deserved. It. You know, I, I, I was high on, on the Packers all year. Aaron Rodgers, uh, just not just the raw numbers, the raw stats kind of blow you out of the water, but it's the efficiency stuff. You know, it's, it's the decision-making and he, and he is such a good decision-maker. He only threw, I think four interceptions this year and two of them came in the same quarter when they were playing Tampa Bay uh, earlier on in the season. So you're talking about a guy who just, despite, you know, and look, he is Devontae Adams. So it's not like he doesn't have talented guys around him. Um, but looking back on the season, do you guys think that, you know, do, do we get it right? Do, is Patrick Mahomes, should there have been more, you know, push for Patrick Mahomes or, or anybody else? Or was it just, this was Aaron Rodgers year to, to bring home the award? Yeah, this, this was easy. I mean, this was Aaron Rodgers. I think, honestly, all of these awards were very easy. I think they crushed it in almost every category. I really do. I just, like, personally agree with this. I agree with, like, just to look through a lot of these, I, I think it's capped off by, the MV, like, the MVP, and I think we got it right. I, I'm very confident in that. Yeah, but, again, my question always is, you talk about most, and this is a discussion we have a lot in baseball, but are you giving the MVP award to the best player? Is it the best player award or is it the most valuable player award? Cause for my money, after what Tom Brady did all year long and what he did in the postseason, you take Tom Brady away from that team. That team is not even going to make the playoffs. That's the most valuable player to me. Best player. Yeah. Great statistics. No doubt. It was Aaron Rodgers. A hundred percent completely agree. Um, and and I think there was one person who, uh, if I may, voted for uh, didn't vote for Alex Smith for Comeback Player of the Year. Which, uh, what moron? Give it to that? Big Ben. <laughs> Jesus. Give it to Big Ben. I mean, ben. unbelievable. That's How do you ridiculous. not vote for for <laughs> for Alex Smith after he threw situation? for two hundred passing attempts in that one game? By the way, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's one of the things. But just the story alone. I mean, the guy was on death's door uh, and is and ended up playing in nfl games this year um did you guys see that i sent you a video it was a it was a video i'm not sure if they showed it on the nfl honors but it was a video joe theisman narrated Mm -hmm. uh about alex smith it was oh that was a tearjerker i watched that sunday before the super bowl woof well i so so i think i mean obviously the alex smith story is is phenomenal um and, and what he had to do to get back that e60 is is one of the best e60s that espn ever put together Stefania Bell played a huge role in that. Who talk about underrated people at ESPN? Stefania Bell is oh, a yeah. fucking rock star, man. She she is, she is awesome. She's like a, she has degrees from Harvard, and you know she's an, a legitimate doctor. Like she has all of these. And she's a Niners fan, which yeah. is even better. <laughs> she is. She's a diehard Niners fan, but she's also she's on the fantasy football squad with Matthew Barry and Field Yates and, and their podcast. The uh, I don't know why I can't remember the name of it, but fantasy football focus. Thank you. Fantasy. Yes. Um, Fantasy focus. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that isn't, that is an excellent podcast. She's, she's wonderful on there and she did a great job with that, uh, that whole piece. But what you were saying there, Scott, and I think there's a perfect example of the, who had the best season versus who is the most valuable player to their, their team and and, and to their side of the ball. Uh, we have a, a better case than that, in my opinion, even more than Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady or Mahomes or anybody else. And that is what we had for defensive player of the year this year, which in the rare occurrence, the guy who is the most valuable player who didn't necessarily have the best statistical season ended up winning. And that's Aaron Donald, who none of us are going to sit up here and, and 
deny that Aaron Donald is not the best defensive player in the NFL because he is, and, and I don't think it's close. But T.J. Watt really kind of got the short end of the stick here because what he put together statistically, led the league in sacks, led the league in every single uh, – had better statistics in every single category compared to Aaron Donald with the exception of forced fumbles, which I still – I think Aaron Donald had four and T.J. Watt had two. Um, I, I, I just felt like, again, and J.J. even tweeted out on his brother's behalf, which I thought was really cool as well, saying like – Basically, what I'm saying right now, not taking anything away from Aaron Donald. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who is more valuable to their team. Um, but it, when you're saying defensive player of the year, uh, this year T.J. Watt had the biggest immediate impact on, on the defensive end when you're talking about actual like production. Now, Aaron Donald also got double-teamed double and triple-teamed in some cases during this year, and we saw Aaron Donald continue to do amazing things. And – as we talked about, you know, the GOAT on the offense, you know, in Tom Brady, I think defensively, anyone who has followed football for a long time kind of, you know, says Lawrence Taylor is the best football player, arguably, um, but also just the best defensive player of all time. And I think Aaron Donald is starting to creep into that conversation a little bit. And Vito, you're our historian. How far, how far off do you think I am on that? Am I, am I jumping the gun or – I mean, I've never seen a, a single defensive player that has the impact on a game in my lifetime that Aaron Donald is. I didn't watch LT. That was before me. So am I off on that? You're not. Um, it's incredible. Like, I, I think we need to sit and talk about this because, I, first of all, I, I think that we got it absolutely right, and I'm glad that we didn't let a couple stats, like, throw this off. Aaron Donald's had also had the injury issues. Like, he didn't play every game full strength point is is that without a doubt he's the best defensive player even in just this year he's the best defensive player he had the best um like the most impact with the most attention and those are the guys who are absolute all-stars he is without a doubt the best defensive player probably of our generation like this is uh, this is it he this is his third defensive player of the year award in four years and, okay. and, and only in seven years in the NFL, too. Exactly. Like, it's it's not like people are out there winning defensive MVPs all the time. Like, they're defensive uh, player of the years. It will be crazy. That's the thing Lawrence Taylor always had is that he won league MVP, um, w- which is just something astounding. And I think he's – It's something he's that will that never happen again, by the way. Like, that, like, that, that is – That is – but I think that's one of the, the things – the Heisman that, thing, right? That will hold – uh, it's one of those things that will hold Lawrence Taylor ahead of, of many others in that regard, because Lawrence Taylor was able to do that. I don't know if we will ever see a defensive player win MVP again. I don't know, but I, if anyone I could, not, it'd be but... Aaron Donald, because I, I really do believe that like um, when we will sit back and look at like the players of this generation and really the players of the NFL and the face of the franchises, like, defensive tackles, people forget, like, even though they're big and strong and play inside, like, you know, it's hard to have long careers, but some guys have done it. Some all-stars, Warren Sapp did it. Like uh, there's guys that come to mind that just played late into their, into their years. Hopefully Aaron Donald can. He's Not a little n- undersized. Uh, Nadama can sue, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a great example. And, 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 but hopefully he can still go. Cause it would be amazing to see if this guy could put together like, you know, six or something like that. like he's he, let's, he's definitely on record pace so yeah. like it, let's let's run insane. through let's let's run through this rookie because i have his uh pro football reference page up right now so he was a rookie in 2014 he won the nfl defensive rookie of the year he has now won three defensive players of the year 2017 2018 2020 
He had 20 and a half. And he was all sacks. pro in all of those years too. Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll get to that second Scott here too. In 2018, he had 20 and a half sacks from an interior defensive lineman. That is so un- unbelievably stupid. Like it's hard to even, even comprehend that someone can be that productive from the interior part of the defensive line, but let's look at pro bowls. He was a rookie in 2014. He's been in every single pro bowl since he was a rookie. And, and a lot of, a lot of people say, Hey, don't, don't put too much stock in a pro bowl. There's a lot of NFL guys hate who makes the pro bowls. Cause they think it becomes way too much narrative driven. Let's look at how many first team all pros he has uh, six in seven years. The only year he wasn't first team all pro was 2014 when he was a rookie. It's incredible. You and, and I'll put this into perspective about the defensive uh, player of the year awards. Not many people have even won double. There's very few, and I'll name them off. These are the guys who want, have won Reggie two. White. Joe Green, Mike Singletary, <laughs> Bruce <boy>. Smith, <laughs> Reggie White, Ray Lewis. Wow. Wow. There are That's three people now. There are three people now that have three defensive player of the year awards to tie for the first. Obviously, Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt, and Lawrence Taylor. Wow. So we're wow. talking about, you know, him having this run out again, JJ Watt got three and four years as well. And that was 2012, 2014, 2015. But like if Aaron Donald can, can carry this on and get a couple more, we're talking about the, seriously guys, like one of the best defensive players ever easily in the top 10 football players of all time. If he can keep running like this. Yeah, no doubt. And I'll tell you what though, uh, the guy, who won defensive rookie of the year might give him a run for his money in, uh, in, uh, oh, what the hell's his name? Chase, Chase Young. Jesus, I totally Chase blanked Young. at the wrong time. <laughs> Chase Young. Yeah. Um, he's, he's going to give him a run for his money. I think, um, again, he's an edge though, which, uh, it's a little easier to, to win those awards as a, as a defensive end, um, as opposed to an interior, interior defensive lineman, like, uh, Aaron Donald is, but yeah, it's it's one of the cool things about that. And though, the guy is so good. One of the cool things about that, though, Scott, is that Aaron Donald has, you know, as you said, traditionally, it's a lot harder to get that kind of recognition. And, and even though football heads will know how the impact of having a Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald, a Chris Jones, these really, really great three technique, you know, not quite nose guards, but, you know, kind of in more with the modern NFL, just these run stuffing guys are, are so important to winning and losing football games. And they really do make a massive impact. Aaron Donald, because of how dominant he's been, has kind of shed light to that in, in that exact kind of thing. Like Fletcher Cox is probably not as much of a household name if it's not for Aaron Donald. You know, th- those guys who play on the interior defensive line, now get the recognition that they kind of deserve because we're seeing somebody take it to such a far extreme when it comes to production from that position that people realize, Oh wait, you know, they're not just big fat guys. Like they're not just big fat guys that kind of, you know, fight the other big fat guys. Like, no, like they're actually like Aaron Donald doesn't have an ounce of fat on him, And he's a fucking specimen of a human being. Like it's, it's truly remarkable. And I get the other side of, of saying why TJ Watt, deserved defensive player of the year oh, and the amount I, of the amount of pittsburgh people i saw that were like he was snubbed i th- i think he was to some degree because any other year and against almost any other player in nfl history 
TJ Watt would have been the defensive player. Of the year. Oh yeah. And we're talking no about doubt. someone who is just that impactful at his position. Um, and and, All of and I don't know, like if I had a vote, I don't know how I would have voted on that, to be honest, because I, I think, I think uh, you know, like, I, I think everybody being like, Oh, well, you know, LeBron's the best player in the NBA and he would, he should win the MVP every single year. I think that's kind of bullshit because at the same time, we're, we're talking about this specific season and there are other guys who put together, like that might be the greatest year that TJ Watt ever has. And he will, if that is the case and he didn't get the recognition that he deserved after putting together what was an incredible run. I mean, think about where we were week 10, right? When the Steelers were still undefeated, how amazing that defense was like, all of us, anyone covering the league, anyone who's around it following football closely talked about how incredible that Pittsburgh defense was. And because of the way the season ended and their fall from grace, like if Pittsburgh had finished up going, you know, 14 and two or, or, or 13 and three, I think it's a totally different conversation, but because they fell off so steeply and on Monday night football, and then obviously, you know, came up short in the playoffs again, I think some of that got some of the, the, respect and admiration that was earned by tj watt will not be given to him and, and look we're talking about millionaires playing a game so like how much more recognition do they need i get it but at the same time when you're really locked into this like i think it does kind of matter so I, I again no no question for me aaron donald is the best defensive player in the league but when it's a year by year award you can't just give it to the guy who's the best you have to give it to the guy who also no. had the best season well, exactly. I see, I actually disagree with this because I think he was the best this year. I think that's the point is I really believe he was the best defensive player this year. Yes. He's also the best in this era, but I think the statistical award, and that's why I'm glad they have the Deacon Jones award is like, yeah, you had the most, you had the most sacks in the NFL. Like you got the statistics. Like that was, that was amazing. Like that means a shit ton. And everyone knows how important, leading the league in sacks is we created an award for it. Thank God it deserves it. But like, I don't think I don't want defensive player of the year to become a statistical award because then I think it'll gear it towards, you know, positions specifically, or just corners that get like 14 picks over corners that like shut people down. Right. Like there's a difference there. A lot of the Mm -hmm. guys who get a lot of picks usually are breaking on balls and let up a lot of touchdowns. Like, like, you know, um, yeah, no, and that's, fair. that's, that's fair. No. And, and look, ultimately, like, like you said, there are voters who just say, I, I believe he was the best player at, mm-hmm. at, you know, on the defensive side of the ball this year. And they, I understand the statistics may not show that out, but this is how I feel. And this is, that's their right as the voter and being that situation. And, and obviously to be a voter at all, you have to have established that, you know, what the fuck you're talking about. So these are people who are, are in a lot of cases smarter than you and I, you know, we're not talking about mm. baseball writers here who are the worst oh, of the yeah. worst when it comes Please. to, you know, as they're not yeah. sending anybody to the hall of fame, just because I could of, do a whole podcast on that, you know, insecurities about how small their dick is basically. Uh, but uh, I do want to run through the rest of these uh, awards before we get into the hall of fame stuff here and then uh, send y'all on your way here on should be Tuesday morning. If you're listening or whenever you're checking in uh, offensive rookie of the year, Sorry, just Pepsi Rookie of the Year. It's so weird that these awards are sponsored by them. I know. Um, Justin Herbert, which I would have loved to have seen what the odds would be to have bet him before the season. Uh, and obviously, Oof. if Joe Burrow plays a full season, it might it might have been a different conversation. But but I don't think I don't, know. I, don't th- I don't think it was, man. I mean, Justin Herbert put together the greatest rookie season from a quarterback we've ever seen. 
um, statistically. And and part of that has to do with obviously how the game's changed compared to – I feel like every time we, we say this kind of shit, I have to, like, dress it up in that way. And like, remember, the game's changed over time, blah, blah, blah. So not all of it is, like, linear. But Justin Herbert this year was just absolutely phenomenal. The Chargers have a new head coach. Um, I don't know. I mean, Brandon Staley going from, you know, D3 just five years ago to now being the head coach of an NFL team. Uh, I, I, it's a it's a gamble, and he's a defensive genius. So there's going to be a defense that comes with Herbert. But just because he had a good rookie year doesn't necessarily mean that that trajectory is going to continue to go up. It doesn't necessarily mean that Herbert – is going to, you know, he's not like all of a sudden a done finished product. Like there's still more development that needs to come from Herbert. So interesting thing to, to keep an eye on here moving forward, but uh, Justin Herbert has done a phenomenal job and it's absolutely warranted. Uh, he also won the AP offensive rookie of the year. So we got both of those award uh, offensive player of the year. This is one we had debated about a little bit, a couple of times. I think we were all in agreement that it would, it would go to Derrick Henry and that's ultimately what happened. I do still think there's a case to be made for Travis Kelsey. Um, you know, we're talking about positions like interior defensive linemen who don't get the love for the production they put up because there isn't an award that the narrative kind of lines up perfectly for them to have it. This was the first time that a tight end like actually had a case to be offensive player of the year. And if Derek Henry had finished with 1950 yards and not 2000, I bet yeah. you Travis, that, that vote is a lot closer. And I bet yeah, you Travis Kelsey – ends up being uh, within that, you know, at least within grasp. Oh, if, if I was a voter, that would legitimately be the change in my vote. Yeah, and I 100%. know that's, that's I don't I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I'm just telling you the truth. That's how I think as well. A hundred percent. Yeah, the yeah. 2000 is what put him over the edge, I think. And, and again, deservedly so. Like, like for what Derrick Henry's done, I mean, the guy is just an absolute machine. Uh, and, yeah. and he was on, um, so we have a show that we do on our channel at Sirius, it's coach K has his own show. So it's a one hour show that we, you know, air during basketball season. And Derek Henry was actually on, uh, was on this week with coach K and, 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 you know, he's asking about the season and one of the interesting aspects and, and coach K is actually a surprisingly good interviewer. He asks really, really good questions. And one of the things he asked was just about how the, the physical side of it, like how are you able to withstand the punishment of being a running back and everything else and what was so crazy, and I think there's a little bit of Bo Jackson in Derrick Henry too, which is just like, he's like, I, I just, I take care of my body as much as I can. And I'm, I'm kind of just good to go. Like, I don't really know what else I can say. Like, you know, he, he does everything he can to put himself in the right position, but ultimately some people are just genetic like freaks. And, and he's kind of cut along that same cloth. It's like, how the hell did Bo Jackson be able to be an MLB player, a star MLB player, a star NFL player, the best running back in football, and then be the best power hitter in baseball, you know, without changing how he trains or anything else. It's like, some guys are just blessed with that kind of, you know, mentality. It's one of the reasons why I believe athletes are really religious because they have no explanation to say uh, other than thanking God for, having this incredible genetic makeup that's allowed that allows them by nothing more than just pure chance to go on to be, you know, a, a, an NFL running back or, or a professional you know, athlete. Um, you touched on Chase Young wins defensive rookie of the year. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't really know who else would have been in that conversation. I feel back. So I always forget his name, but the, the defensive back uh, in Carolina who they took in the third round had an awesome year. Uh, I think he was kind of the, Chin, the only, Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin. Thank you. Um, he he's the only other one I think really would have had kind of a you know a, a shot at it. Um, 
comeback player of the year, as, as we alluded to, to um, Scotty, as you to said, there, there was one option. And, and again, the Alex Smith story, everything about it is incredible. I encourage everyone to go watch that, um, that 30 for not 30 for 30, that E60 that they did. And the last couple here to just kind of wrap it up. Um, Kevin Stefanski wins coach of the year. That was my pick. Uh, there's yeah. obviously a strong case to be made for Ron Rivera, given everything that he did, but you know, cancer free um, now, Ron Rivera. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike, uh, you know, uh, unlike comeback player of the year where like the story around it kind of plays a big part in it and MVP for, for a, to a certain extent as well. I, I think the coach of the year, you really just kind of have to look, you know, box those things out. And not that Ron Rivera didn't have a good case, you know, helping no. take that yeah, Washington go team wrong there. Either. What they did in, in Cleveland in one year, going from Freddie yeah. Kitchens, you know, and then two years ago, Hugh Jackson going 0-16 to now making the playoffs, winning a game, and, uh, you know, having a shot there. You know, like I've said it before, they, they should have beat Kansas City when Chad Henney came in, and uh, Stefanski deserves all the, all the credit in the world for that. Uh, the last thing, as far as awards go, and then we'll get to the Hall of Fame here, is the Walter Payton Man of the Year which went to Russell Wilson, who I'll be honest, guys, I, uh, for a long time, didn't like Russell Wilson. Like I I thought he was captain tryhard. You know, he was the guy who just like everything he said was like the polished answer that, you you know, they train you to say in press conferences and all this other stuff. And, and I got a chance, he was on two big podcasts. He was on Bill Simmons and part of my take this year. I came away from both those interviews just being like, like I, I love this guy. Like, I want to hate him. I want to dislike him. But I, I just – You and I, me both, brother. <laughs> like, I, I love this guy. Everything about him, you know, his story. And it, and the, the one thing I always was – I guess my one criticism of him was just that I never – it never felt authentic. You know, it never felt like it was genuine. It always just kind of felt like he was just giving you the coach speak. But – when you sit down and it's, it's hard to fake that for an entire hour or, four, or 45 minute long interview. And, and you really do get a chance to kind of sit back and, and just appreciate how great uh, of a person and obviously of, as a quarterback is, is Russell Wilson. Yeah. I, uh, as a 49ers fan, it's one of those things, uh, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of NF or uh, AFC East fans talk about, um, uh, their disdain for Tom Brady and how it's deeply rooted in their, uh, their uh, allegiances. <clears throat> and it's kind of the same way a little bit for me, uh, you know, on the field with, uh, with Russell Wilson. Right. Um, it's, and we do it with, I, I do it with a lot of players uh, across a lot of sports, uh, LeBron included now that he's with the Lakers. Um, but like, uh, it's hard for, anyone to and you're right jeff when you listen to him talk um he does a little bit of that coach speak thing but uh when you sit down and listen to him for a long time it's hard to not respect uh him as a person and him as a player and he's one of those guys on the field where i'm like uh like i am with clayton kershaw in baseball like damn it i hate the the colors that you're wearing uh, but damn it, if you aren't a, a good, uh, yeah, man. a good it's all, player, it's all bigger um, than sports. Man, it's all it's 100%. all percent sports, you know. And Boy. he and he does such a good job in the community in Seattle. Yeah, um, he really, really does. Uh, he's he's done it over a sustained period now for almost what ten years that he's been with the with the club. Yeah, um, and he really cares about and invests in that community. And and 
well-deserved, I think, the uh, Walter Payton Man of the Year. You can give it to any one of those 32 guys that were nominated. but uh, I think that's also one of the coolest cool. things that they do is that every team gets a nominee. Oh, yeah. 100%. And then once you win, you get to keep the patch on for you know the rest of your career. I think that's just yeah. – it's a, it's a really cool thing the NFL does. You know, the NFL's king when it comes to marketing. You know, <laughs> they want you to they want you to see exactly – they want you to see them exactly the way that they want you – you know, that they want. Yeah, it's exactly how it turns out. The last award here I skipped over, but um, assistant coach of the year went to Brian Dable, who is returning to Buffalo, or Dabble, however it's pronounced. But good for him, man. Uh, and, and honestly, good for Buffalo fans. Like – you're getting this guy who should absolutely be a head coach right now. And for whatever reason, you know, Nick Sirianni and those guys end up getting the job ahead of him. Um, uh, it's, it's a huge win. And the cool thing too, was that he said he, part of the reason why he wanted to come back was to finish the job that he had started with helping develop Josh Allen um, and, and to really give Buffalo what it deserves. And, and I'll tell you right now, I don't know what the odds are, but maybe sprinkle a little bit of money on the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl next year. Uh, well, futures, yeah, I like that, or at least to get there. I yeah, <laughs> I I think you could. Uh, I I really like Buffalo going into next year, yeah. especially especially if, Brian Dabble. Yeah, that and the the last mock draft I saw had them drafting Najee Davis. Uh, Najee or Davis. Najee Harris. Najee I mean, Harris. Sorry, that would be yeah, fun. from uh, Alabama. That Wouldn't would that be, be fun. Oh, oh Najee gosh. Harris is a monster. I cannot wait to see him. Uh, in the NFL. But guys, I do want to hit on quickly here uh, and then we're going to get out as we've run a little long today, but it's been a good podcast. Obviously lots to talk to talk about with uh, the Super Bowl and everything else, but we have our 2021 Hall of Fame class who's going to get inducted with the 2020 class, which I also thought is going to be really cool. That's going to be about seven hours <laughs> to get all of those guys inducted. Seven hours of Hall this- of Fame football. <laughs> Who, who's most on. who's most likely to pull a Ray Lewis and just talk for like 10 hours in their speech. <laughs> uh, but headlining the class, I think more so than anybody is Peyton Manning, who was mm. no doubt, no brainer. One of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. One of the most likable athletes we've ever had. I often said like when I was watching the OJ documentary that ESPN did that Peyton, you know, what would it be like, right? Con- contextualize. It'd be like, well, if Peyton Manning all of a sudden, because that's what OJ was. OJ was this like larger than life figure that was in all these commercials and like a very famous, like you knew what OJ looked like. You know, it basically would be for us if Peyton Manning just, you know, killed somebody <laughs> allegedly. Whoops. <laughs> career allegedly, right? Um, not actually, but, you know, Peyton Manning, uh, undeniably deserving to, to get into the Hall of Fame. And uh, it's very cool to see. I don't know if you guys saw the picture that he tweeted out when, when they found out they were on a private jet with him and, and his son. Dude, Peyton Manning's private jet is the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. It was enormous. Can they do a Peyton's places on that? Honestly, by the way, great. That's, that's show. why he does all those. That's why he does all of those commercials and talks about Papa John's and Budweiser after his Super Bowl victory. <laughs> oh, He's yeah. bought a jet off it. Kids killing oh, yeah. it. No, Eli's but, getting yeah. in that game. No, too. I mean, I mean, uh, obviously, he was my quarterback for a couple of years, and like he won my Broncos a Super Bowl. It's the only one I've been a, like a fan for. I was too young for the Elway stuff, and like, uh, yeah, you're welcome. I I just love 
Um, you know, I, I, I absolutely love Peyton and, and his, like, just the fact that he got me a Super Bowl and came to my Broncos. Amazing. But when you look at this class, it's super strong. Alan oh, Fanica, yeah. if you watch football, you know what he was for the Steelers. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. John Vito. Lynch, also a Bronco, and it's obviously a Buck. He was incredible. Now, you know, Scotty, in your front office with the Niners, but yeah, um, go get Deshaun Watson, please. Then you can go to the Hall of Fame. But I, I have a couple wanna, of guys that, that are on my list too, Vito. I want to see if we have the same guys. Well, no, these are the guys who are in. Yeah, I know. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. I wanted to yeah, talk so, about some of the lesser known guys. Oh, well, Charles Woodson, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to run through them all because Charles Woodson, if again, if you know football, what he was for the Raiders, he had the famous tuck rule play and the downpour of snow and a blizzard against Tom Brady when Tom Brady went to his first Super Bowl and they, they played each other when they were uh, teammates in Michigan. Um, you had Tom Flores, who's a legendary coach. I'm glad he got in. And there's a whole, uh, there was the, someone did. featured in that new documentary that Al Davis versus the NFL, Tom Flores wow. is, is in and out from that whole, just they tell I, his story. Cause he's not a, a super, he's not historically thought of as like one of the great coaches, but you know, pre and post John Madden, you know, yeah. everyone thinks of John Madden and think of the Raiders, but Tom Flores was, was a great, great call. Yeah. And he, and he obviously, uh, there was a, another, a, a beer, I forget who, which beer company had like a whole campaign to get him in the hall of fame. So it was, was Coors Light. Cool. Coors Light. There you yeah. go. Um, and then obviously one guy, you know, well, Calvin Johnson is somebody who got in and I'm very excited about before we, we talk about him a little bit. I want to touch on Drew Pearson because they, they're doing a senior now, like uh, someone who from, older generations and getting elected. And I think this is an important person to talk about because his stats won't light it up. We've inflated the league, but he's had some crazy moments that you know about and that are legendary and that I'm glad he's finally going to be in the hall of fame. First of all, he was on, um, there's a great organization called professional football researchers association, and they have a hall of very good, which are like the best guys who are not in the hall of fame. And he's been on there. That's been like a running joke forever too. the hall of very good versus. Yeah. And, and they still they put uh, that award, actually. It's great. But but here's something crazy about him. He um, he played quarterback in college, and he was undrafted as a rookie, rookie wide receiver. And what he did at that era, um, unfortunately, he, um, you know, he, he died at age of 33 in a car accident. So, like, he, he didn't have his full career and everything. But his signature moment. And you know, we always talk about Heisman moments or hall of fame moments. This is a hall of fame moment. He is the guy who caught the first ever hail Mary. Mm-hmm. Like when Roger really? Stallback went back to pass, it was in 75 as a divisional game against uh, the, the Vikings. And he drops back and he slings it. And after the game, he said, I threw the ball as far as I could. I closed my eyes and I said a hail Mary. And, and Drew Pearson came down with it. And that's how the term Hail Mary was invented. And so Drew Pearson will always be that guy who caught the, like the first ever Hail Mary. And I think that's, that's a good enough hall of fame moment for me, especially when we're looking back at those guys. But even even for him, he's undrafted. He's a three-time all pro three-time pro bowler. Uh, He won the Super Bowl 12. He got 48 touchdowns. I mean, that like you said, Vito, he's not going to light it up, but, uh, but that moment alone. Yeah. I think is a, is a great hall of fame moment. The other guy I liked, um, that you mentioned was Alan Fanica. He spent 10 seasons blocking for, uh, for Jerome Bettis and, and Willie Parker, uh, Jerome Bettis in the hall of fame as well. Uh, and, uh, the one, the one moment that stuck out to me with Fanica was that, uh, 
he had that insane pole block in Super Bowl. What was it? Uh, Super Bowl forty. Yep. In uh, in two thousand, he had that insane pole block that got Willie Parker that seventy-five yard game-winning touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I mean, blocking his. I was talking. You the know what's funny and, too? Uh, I was I was talking to my buddy Max Starks, who is a was the starting left tackle with Alan Fanica for the Steelers for a while. And I asked him, you know, because some of those offensive lines were, were pretty legendary. You know, Willie Colon was on some of them. You know, like they had a bunch yeah. of really, really good offensive linemen during that era. You know, the end of the Cower era, beginning of the Mike Tomlin era. Yeah, Starks uh, is a beast too. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Max. Max is a genet. Again, talk about genetic freaks. Um, but one of the things that Max told me was just like I asked him one time, like, who is the best offensive lineman that you played with out of that crew? And he was like, it was Fanica. I wasn't even close. He's he's like yeah. as he's like the competitor in me would say me you know would say like I could I could go up against anybody he's like but you know we knew he's like he was the heart and soul of that team especially yeah. playing guard you know playing not not being a tackle and still having that impact of the game it reminds me a little bit of what we see out of Quentin Nelson you know an offensive yeah. lineman who plays yeah. that guard position but because of you know pull the way that you know you can pull offensive guards and in a lot of yeah. ways it was almost it. it not that it went out of style because it's always been a part of football, but when you're running, you know, options, you know, and, and read options and triple options and that kind of style and older style of offenses and more conventional running games, and you have to trap a lot and you have to bring, you know, these guards around, like it was integral in order to be able to run the football. Yeah. And then as we started throwing the ball more as a, as a league when the NFL starts throwing the ball more, eventually it, it kind of phased out. But now we see as the play that I broke, you know, the play breakdown I did last week from that. Yeah. Thing, right. Like we see how important it still is in the modern NFL and having those freak of nature guys, like a center who can pull tackles guards. Everyone's doing that. Uh, and guys 10, like 15 yards up field. Yeah. yeah guys like, like Alan Fanica are a huge reason why the one, the one name we haven't mentioned from this list. And, um, and I want to get to him as well. Oh yeah. Is John Lynch. I got you on this one. Um, John, oh, John Lynch. Lynch. Oh, I got another one for you too. Yeah, no, I want to let you tackle that. Cause you, you're locked in on bill Nunn there, but John, John Lynch, you know, one of my favorite safeties growing up with Tampa Bay and Denver, um, Vito, I'd imagine yeah. he probably holds a similar place in your heart as Brian Dawkins holds in mine. You know, watching up with these powerhouse kind of safety guys, you know, it, it was incredible, especially to have a guy like that. We had this defense. I mean, we had we had John Lynch, we had Champ Bailey, and like it, it was incredible. We had Drake Bly on the other side. We actually had Darren Williams, who was my favorite. He was young. He actually, unfortunately, uh, it was wild. He got shot after one like the last game one year. And Brandon Marshall was in the car, and that's what messed Brandon Marshall up for a while. Anyway, because it was a fight involved. It, crazy story is against the Niners, Scott. But anyway, outside of that, oh, yeah. the point is oh, what I, I want to get at. Story. And, and sorry to bring that up. But the point is that John Lynch and Champ Bailey, we had a bunch of other guys that were around there. But every single year, our run defense would be fine because we had John Lynch coming in the box and, and scraping up anything we needed. And our pass defense would always lock down half the field. Because like Champ would, would kind of cover, especially if John would come down sometimes aggressively. And we'd like... Champ would, would do that thing where he looked like he was playing zone, even when he was a man, he turned sideways on the oh, line. He was and one of him, the best disguisers. I love and, Champ Bailey. So like him, but the, I guess the point is, is what was great about John Lynch is that John Lynch wasn't a guy who was like, oh, he's great and he'll play wherever and he's great. If he plays with other great people, he'll be even greater. Like yeah. he he yeah. could build and and, go, and take well, think in about other, that Tampa Bay defense. I'll go right? get a quarterback. Yeah. 
Well, and let me ask you this while while we're on while we're on John Lynch. Is he a a a one of one? You know, because like think about it. We don't see guys who are built like inside linebackers playing safety anymore. You know, I, the, the only the yeah. only guy I can think of, and that's what I'm saying, we may not see another John Lynch moving forward. The only guy I can think of in the modern era era who played similarly was uh, Cam Chancellor. I was going to say Cam Chancellor is the only other guy that comes to mind. Yeah, that's, yeah you that's know, that's my exact thought too. And because I mean, like, obviously, even, when you go old, like Ronnie Lott, I think Ronnie Lott was a whole like yeah, but that was a different freak. You're right; he wasn't yeah. built the same like, way. He John was Lynch freak was in a different way. Was kind of Brian Dawkins esque, but at the same time, Doc was so good in coverage and not that John Lynch wasn't, but it was really like, Hey, we have this linebacker, you know, freak athlete in John Lynch. Let's just use him at, at safety and, and just completely eliminate the run. And now with how the game is developed and, you know, we were talking about Antoine Winfield jr. In the break and, and, and how he's only, he's five, nine, you know, like we don't see these Hulk, you know, hawking presences that we, that we once did. Um, but uh, Scotty, I know you, you want to get onto you know a scout that's actually making the Hall of Fame, which is really cool here. And then uh, I want to touch a little bit on Calvin Johnson as we wrap up the pop too. Yeah, it's a great story too. Uh, John Lynch, go get Deshaun Watson for the love of God. Anyone but Jimmy G. Uh, that'll that'll be my and Scott's personal Hall of Fame. You'll be <laughs> uh, there if you, if you get a good quarterback. Uh, but no, you're uh, Jeff. Absolutely, uh, guy na- by the name of Bill Nunn who was a scout for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, African-American man um, from Pittsburgh. He's a Pittsburgh guy. Um, but he is single-handedly responsible for building that the steel curtain in the 70s. Um, he, he drafted guys like Elsie Greenwood, Mel Blunt, uh, John Stallworth, and, and Jack Lambert. Uh, and then in free agency, got those guys like Joe Green and, and, and stuff like that. He... He he did a whole lot in the '70s to to make the Steelers what they were, um, and and good good for for the NFL for for I, I've never seen a scout like that get into the Hall of Fame, which is is really cool. Um, but to acknowledge the fact that uh, he he brought on this uh, entire great generation of of Steelers uh, Steelers teams. Um, was was really cool to see uh that the nfl acknowledged that through the hall of fame um, yeah so the, it, he had the best yeah he had the best draft of all time if you'll know this 1974 it's incredible uh he the, the steelers drafted four hall of famers in one draft um it's the best ever they call it the greatest yeah. infusion of talent in nfl history yeah um, and he's he, responsible for it exactly and, and that team that's you know they won four super bowls before anyone else had three and, and they did that for a reason that was the first dynasty and it was back when football there wasn't free agency like there is today like it was built through the draft so mm-hmm. no scott yeah. that's that's awesome man that's if anyone deserves it um it's the in, guy in, who, who developed that era, dynasty like in an era as you know tying it back to the how we ended the pod last week scotty about you know the, the plight of black, you know, NFL employees, you know, whether it's coaching, yeah. scouting front office as a player, you know, we we're, were talking about a time period there in the seventies in which maybe in 2020, that guy ends up becoming a GM, you know, but instead, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, but instead, you know, he, he gets labeled a scout for his career and, and is like you said, responsible to putting together one of the greatest draft classes uh, of all time. The, the last guy we have to talk about here. Uh, is is Calvin Johnson 
who I, I, I know like, as time moves on and we're seeing more and more guys, and this is something which is getting older and being a sports fan, but still being like relatively young when it comes to just the, the large scheme of the larger scheme of life. Um, you know, I remember Calvin Johnson getting drafted. I remember watching Calvin Johnson at Georgia tech, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I just feel I'm getting older and older every single year that this goes by and it's more guys. It's like, Oh, I remember when he was in college or I remember this guy, you know, when he was there and, and Calvin Johnson, only played in the league eight years. Uh, obviously, that Detroit franchise, as we've talked about with the golf trade and everything else, has, has been a shit show for its an entire existence. You know, they've never won a Super Bowl. I don't think they've even played in a Super Bowl. And, and even before then, I don't think they've ever won an NFL championship. So, you know, in the pre-Super Bowl era, what Calvin Johnson did as, as just a pure talent at the wide receiver position – I think a lot of the kids that we see now growing up, you know, like Julio Jones is a freak of nature, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody as, as just jaw droppingly brilliant and athletic and, and kind of just did everything the right way as Calvin Johnson. And, you know, we say this all the time about certain players, like if Mahomes retired now, would he still get, would he get in the hall of fame just with his resume, what it is to this point, not projecting into the future. Calvin Johnson is kind of helping answer that question a little bit because here we are eight years, very, very short. There's only a handful of guys who only played eight years who are going to be in the, who are in the hall of fame. And uh, he just, you know, he had Matt Stafford, you know, towards the end of his career and everything else. Um, It's a shame the way that Detroit kind of just did a disservice and kind of wasted two generational talents and Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson in the skill positions by just being an incompetent franchise. Uh, so I think it's very cool <laughs> that the NFL, you know, did this and, and, and that the voters kind of unanimously on his first year on the ballot were like, yeah, no, this dude's a hall of famer. He's one of the best that ever have done it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he changed, he changed the position for me. I mean, we think about wide receivers in the spectrum. There's, there's the, the slot guy, the short athletic guy. And then there's the, the big guy that uh, can get you downfield and uh, or, or when you jump balls. And now there's kind of a hybrid type of guy like that, like DK Metcalf, but Calvin Johnson changed the game with that big wide receiver. Um, and who could also and, yeah. do other things like being the yeah. big wide receiver who can do all the other stuff attached to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, it, yeah. Change the game. Uh, well received. And I think uh, he's the third, only the third player who's age 35 or younger by the time that they get elected to the hall of fame to your point about him only playing eight years. Um, but yeah, man, congr- congrats to him. He was one of my favorite players to watch when I was younger. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, I just remember this, and it's so funny. Uh, so the Lions drafted in 2003, 2004, and 2005, all in the first rounds, they got wide receivers. 2006, they actually went Ernie Sims from Florida State, the linebacker. But then 2007, they got Calvin Johnson. And all these were pretty high picks. And I remember, like, they always drafted, and none of them really hit. I mean, the names were Charles Rogers, Roy Williams, Mike Williams, right? Like Roy Williams, there you go. Alf- yeah. Cowboys. It's- and so, um, you mean like, that North when Carolina you go coach? through when you, when you go through like the list and I remember then they finally drafted Calvin, it was like, here's another receiver. And he really did change their franchise. Cause two years later they get Stafford, they get Sue the next year. They actually did start building something and, and really like trying. 
Um, so, but, but at the same time, I mean, he's a hall of famer. That guy would dominate every time he would, he would take on the best of the best corners and, and he would be the only guy who would beat some of them like Revis and stuff at the time. Like it was, yeah. it was awesome to see. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, and well-deserved uh, from everybody. Like you said, this is a loaded, loaded class uh, for the hall of fame. So uh, with that, I think it's about time we wrap this some bitch up. So uh, for Scotty and Vito, everybody rate review, subscribe, please. If you like the podcast, just, you know, Pick one friend this week, just one friend this week that you know likes football and likes sports and say, hey, I like this podcast. I listen to it. I know these guys. They're good people. You know, give it give it a shot. And uh, and as I said before, man, the, the support has been phenomenal. Friends, family uh, and, and everybody. So anyone who's taken the time out of their day to listen to us ramble about sports. Um, thank you because yeah, uh, this is y'all. this is seriously uh, so much fun. And even though the NFL season is now over. Uh, there's still a lot of great sports content coming up. We're going to do so much in the off season, whether it's free agency and the draft. I think we were saying before the pod today, I'm almost more excited to go into some of that stuff because you can really take it any direction uh, that you want. So we're going to have a lot of great stuff for you here. Stay locked in. You're going to hear from Scott. You're going to hear from Vito. Uh, they're going to continually hop on here with me and, and I'm going to keep putting out some solo pods as well. So for the boys and the crew, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back. I'll have another pod out for you this week. And keep it all locked in right here on the Read Option. Network.